Everyone, this is going to be maybe the best four hours of our whole trip. Four hours? Robin Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, no more off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I saw this pattern, and it was everywhere. We can't see it, but we're all trapped inside these strange, repeating loops. And oh boy, if you thought Zach and I were living in a turnstile world, this is a whole nother level. So, it turns out that this is the first time Zach and I have tried to record an episode entirely in the Matrix. There were some technical difficulties, uh, there was some grandiose ideas of what the Matrix could be in our view of things, but now we are coming back to record this episode in the real world. So I just want to set the stage for everybody. If you hear any breakup in audio, if you hear any kind of, you know, sound discrepancies, you might be hearing the bleeding through of what Zach and I talked about previously. Uh, Zach, on our cinema audience, this is my great fun way to say that uh, Zach and I have had to record this episode twice because of technical issues and Rob's in incoherent drunkenness. Is that fair to say, Zach? I don't want to pull any punches here. <laughs> uh, oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, I, think we, I think we tried recording this about, like, what, 10 days ago, and it kind of, uh, much like yes, uh, yes. Trinity, it dissolved in front of us. Uh, I made the joke before uh, before we started recording, as, uh, as Smith says, Jonathan Groff Smith in this movie says, can you imagine, after all this time, after two weeks, coming back to the Matrix? <laughs> no, but um, uh, if um, just to just to set the stage, you know, if you hear any changes in audio quality or anything like that, just know that Zach and I have been talking about this movie for way too long, and I'm trying to blend as much of this together to give the complete Matrix Resurrections experience. And I think that's where I want to start by saying, Zach, after our Matrix series, or I should say Wachowski series, in December. I wanted to give all of our listeners, uh, we did, I don't want to disclude you from this, we wanted to give our listeners a full, complete picture of the Matrix trilogy. And with this fourth Matrix movie, I think that we want to give them a complete picture of, you know, the Matrix franchise now. Is that fair to say? I think so. Right on, right on. So since um, from when we did our recording inside the Matrix, where Rob clearly had more of the one powers than Zack did and talked over him to a great extent, I think I want to throw it over to you, Zack, at the start of this. What do you want to start with? I mean, we got a lot to talk about. We got theater-going experience. We got initial thoughts. We got reactions. We got the themes. What do you think? Where should we start with this? I, I think, in a way, this sounds quite pedestrian, but I think we should do this like a Zenger level discussion. Because I think, like, I, no, I think it's one of those things where, like, there's uh, just. Let me get out my, so uh, let me get out my copybook. Uh, let me get out my, uh, my homework worksheet. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. 
I I didn't write my name on this. I'm sorry. Work, okay. Worksheet <laughs> is the correct term. The, the, the Zenger worksheet where like you literally have like a rubric that is presented to you before the record. Uh, yes, I'm writing down my name, uh, R. Cinematides, uh, date today. And uh, oh, God, first question. What do you think about the Matrix? That's a tough one. Uh, I don't think they gave me enough room to answer this on the, on the, on the worksheet. I'm sorry, Zach. <laughs> Oh god! But no, like that's the thing. Like I honestly, I I don't know where to begin with this because this movie. Okay, coming out of the theater for this, it was it's like every other Wachowski movie for me. Like it was initially, I don't want to say frustrating because like I knew I, in the sense of I expected the frustration. So obviously the fall wasn't that steep, sure. but it's the notion of still like we all go into movies with preconceived notions, and the fact. That, like, I, it's not that I didn't get what I wanted because I really had zero expectations walking into this. Um, it takes a lot of, like, soul-searching and reflecting to appreciate how magnificent this film is. I could not agree more because I think that this movie is demanding, uh, to say the least. And uh, I think that a lot of the criticism, which I, I'm sure we'll get into at some point, whether it be in this discussion or in uh, the the Matrix version of this discussion, because we're in the real world, you know, I want to set that stage. Um, people seem to not have been giving the thought that this movie deserves, if that makes sense. No, well, yeah, it's weird. The people who wrote this movie off six months ago when the trailers released didn't do anything. They, they didn't try to what's the word adjust their mental scope to appreciate <laughs> yes. this. They, they went into this wanting to hate it and it gave them everything on a silver platter. May I say Zach, that they did not separate the art from the artist. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's a weird thing. Cause like, okay. Cause like, again, like Rob said, there was another recording at one point. It's, I didn't encounter any of the stuff that Rob claims to have seen. My big thing that I saw mostly was that like, it, it was more condensed. The, I don't even want to call it criticism. Cause I think that's too kind of a term. The lambasting. It just, it, it basically came down to quote, Oh, the woke people got what they deserved. End quote. And I'm just like, sure, sure. I'm like, this isn't a woke movie. Like this is, there's, there's nothing woke about this movie. I'm not, I'm saying that as a, Oh God, Sociocultural conservative individual. There, there's, this, I know, right? Like, we're gonna get banned for that alone. Forget all the things we've said in the last how many years. Like that will get us banned alone. It's like saying um, you're a redskin these days. <laughs> now we're definitely getting, now. I was getting banned before. Now Rob got his vote. Um, no, like I really, I really don't see again like if if the, if the second and third movie weren't your cup of tea clearly this movie's not going to do anything to push you the, in the other of direction course. thank you for saying that zach of course all these people thinking like oh the matrix the matrix it's coming back it's gonna be a, like just like how good the first one was and all the people saying this are the people that fundamentally misunderstood the first one we'll get into that more i'm sure but I don't even, but this, is the, this is the thing i find fascinating about resurrections is that this movie does an infinite more amount of hand-holding than I think the, the previous three did combined. Oh, 100%. Like, this this movie is going out of its way to explain things to you. And, and it's not even doing it, like, in the, oh, God, contemporary way where we have to, like, it's the Marvel thing. It's it's the J.J. Abrams thing of, like, just, like, it's like a slip and slide with Crisco. It's not doing that. <laughs> it's 
it's very, very delicately laying things out. So it's not bashing you over the head with it. And yet the dummies on, but that's the problem is the dummies on the internet just, they want to hate this. Yeah, of course. The knives are out and they refuse to acknowledge any of the points that are brought up in this. Of course. Zach, you're saying things that are um, triggering me in ways that I want to get into um, (laughs) so, so, so badly. As our cinema audience knows, I, I hope there's some facet or subset of our cinema audience that is dying to hear what I think the themes and how this fits into the Matrix lore and things like that. But maybe, you know, to structure this in some way, even though upon editing between this and the previous recording, it will be the least structured episode of Cinemodities, period. I I guess maybe we should start somewhere that I I really want to get into with you, Zach. It's theater-going experience. I saw this in IMAX. You did as well. Is that correct? I did did not know you saw this in IMAX, Rob. Oh, oh, I thought, okay, I did. I I took the drive down to Denver, and I saw the first IMAX showing, um, because I have no no IMAX theaters in Fort Collins, unfortunately, and I saw the first IMAX showing that I could uh, in Denver on the 22nd. Um, And you said you did as well. You saw it in IMAX? I did. I drove to Danbury. Ah, okay. A little farther than I had to go. Uh, I have about 45 to 50 minutes, you know, Yeah, same for me. Oh, okay, okay. I thought Danbury was farther. But anyway, so theater-going experience. The reason I bring this up is because I think this is something, um, you know, since we've done, now Ben and I have covered the Spider-Man No Way Home, which included a lot of my clips for my theater-going experience, um, which was a a doozy, of course, you know, and and Zach wasn't on there, but I think Zach can attest that uh, people were losing their minds, I I think it's safe to say, at certain points of No Way Home. I I have to say, my theater-going experience, while I loved seeing this in IMAX, I want to talk about my crowd. I think it was filled with people who wanted to see this movie, that wanted to see the new Matrix, but there was not a lot of reactions in my theater. Did you have the similar experience, or was uh, your theater-going audience a little more animated? Well, well, compared to uh, Spider-Man, like a couple days earlier, like that, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yes, no, like no, it's Um, a great clip. If anybody listens back to um, whenever our Spider-Man No Way Home episode comes out, I inserted the clip of uh, the person two seats down from me. Uh, fanboying out about uh, Charlie Cox showing up as Daredevil, and there's a great scene. Uh, I put it in, but it, it's literally Zach. I'm going to try and recreate it for you. Uh, Charlie Cox shows up on screen, and someone down the aisle from goes, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really get any of that. No claps. No. Um. There were some people. There were murmurs. People were, you know, sounding off and talking to each other, but nothing close to Spider Man, which, like you said, is you know expected. But I wanted to know if you had a little more animated of an audience in Danbury. Uh, there's only one moment in the film that kind of got a rise out of a couple people in the crowd. And I guess, spoiler alert for a movie that's been out now for roughly a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was the moment in Simulate where um, Chad, uh, handsome Chad, grabs Trinity and, and he says her name, her, her false name. She's ah. like, I hate it when he's like, and like, she's like, my name is Trinity. And like a person and a half were like, woo! Like, <laughs> it, and it felt like, it, but like, it felt infinitely more like, this is the weird thing and not to bring this back to like stupid marvel nonsense in avengers infinity war but it felt infinitely more genuine like that one and a half people who were like 
Okay. Woo! That moment felt infinitely more than this the guffawing because some guy they saw in a Netflix show was yeah. on the movie screen. Okay, thank you. Thank you. That's a great point to bring up because when I think of authenticity in audience responses, when I saw No Way Home, you know, disregard the um, Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock slash Daredevil cameo, but you know, when Andrew Garfield, when Tobey Maguire showed up, when all these the 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 moments that you're supposed to clap, they felt manufactured. But I think back to when I saw. Uh, you know, uh, Solo, a Star Wars story in theaters. When Darth Maul showed up, one person in my theater lost their fucking mind. <laughs> that is genuine when somebody actually me. cares about me. it. I was that one person in every theater <laughs> in the country. <laughs> that was like, <gasps> was like... But I'm with you. I think that when you have somebody in the theater who feels strong enough to try and start the charge of applause and doesn't earn it, they're still having the most fun out of anybody in the theater, or m- maybe not most fun, but top 10%. They're the people who really want to see this stuff, and I appreciate that. Oh, definitely. And that's the thing where, like, I, I think that moment, like, retroactively proved to me that, like, all this Marvel stuff, and like I said, I, I guess, um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to take part in the Spider-Man No Way Home discussion. Um, I liked the movie. It was fine. Um, I thought it was cute. It, it was, re- it was, ref- it was kind of, as I like to describe that movie to people, it was a cold soda on a hot summer day. Is it giving me any nutritional, like, benefits? Absolutely not. But it tasted good in the moment, and I, and I felt satisfied. I I have to interject because before we started recording, I asked actually asked Zach. I was like, "Did you listen?" Because it, it it is out at the time of this recording, um, this second recording, whatever fucking turnstiles are in. I'm I'm even confusing <laughs> my own self right now. The Spider-Man No Way Home that Ben and I did is out, and I asked Zach if he listened to it. He did not. Turns out, Zach, I liked the movie. Ben was angry at the movie. Re- what? I liked the movie a lot more than Ben did. <laughs> Everybody, okay, we're gonna pa- we're gonna pause this recording. So <laughs> no, we can't do this again. We come can't back. have a third Matrix recording. <laughs> but no, Zach, that, listen back to it, Ben. Shocking. Yeah, I was that's shocked shocking. as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, absolutely. Who would have thought that you and that you and I would be the defenders? Of no, my God, defenders of No Way Home or no or no or no, my God, it's not yeah, hard to find. I Jesus. was we. But I was Ben's shocked. I was shocked. Himself. I think all our our cinema audience was shocked. But no, I'm with you, Zach. Um, it it is that, actually. What's that quote from? What's that quote from Anchorman? Um, like I'm in a, I'm in a, pr- a glass prison of sadness. <laughs> That's why I feel like that, if I was been recording a no way home discussion. Um, oh God, uh, no! But like that's the thing. Like I think the the moment in the Matrix Resurrections that the audience got a rise out of, like just proved how disingenuous these Marvel moments are, where they they they're not making these moments because they're fu- like naturally unfolding or evolving in the context of movie making. They're being plugged in like almost the equivalent to like giving somebody medication yes like it's like an, it's like an iv drip and they like they're putting something into it they're um, they're it, manufactured manufactured in the sense that they runway for you to clap has been built and they know that that plane is going to land and i i want to relate this back to the matrix resurrections because i feel that that is what people expected from the matrix resurrections i feel that all these dissenters who you know we'll talk about more that say this movie is absolute garbage they were expecting a true fan service recognition of the first movie and that's the farthest thing happens. that they got but that's literally but also at the same time though it's literally what it is like there's so many callbacks to that first film Well, this is what i want to push back on i think the entire first act is not talking about 
what made the first Matrix good. It's talking about what people thought made the first Matrix good. And listen back to our our discussion at the beginning of December about The Matrix, the first movie, where I think you and I, I think more me, but you agree with me, that people misunderstood that movie. And that's what I think the beginning of The Matrix Resurrections is about. When they're going, what is? why did people like The Matrix? It's because it's effed with your head. It's because of well, bullet okay, time. I want to say, okay, I want to say... That that moment, that montage we get of the one scene with Christina Ricci, which probably was my biggest disappointment with the entire film, that Christina Ricci has literally one scene. I have to agree. But, she looks great. And I know. I know we I'm talked so about a speed racer. Her. I'm so upset because I love Christina Ricci, and I, I hate that she had her problems with body dysmorphia and anorexia, and I'm so glad to see her looking so good, and she's just in it for fucking 15 seconds. <laughs> if, if, if. Which, which leads me to believe they probably cut her. Like, she probably had <sighs> more and they cut her out um, yeah. she feels like a more substantial role that probably got down like i would like one thing i have to say about this movie because i've watched it a couple times now like I, I guess i should say like when it comes to like oh god view forget about the movie this is a unique case raw forget about the movie going experience this is the viewing experience because what happened was i wanted to see this like opening night in theaters um like because it came out on wednesday i was hoping they would have like a 7 p.m tuesday showing nobody had any like night before showings the absolute yeah. earliest show were about 3 p.m. on, on the Wednesday release yeah, that, that's what I saw. I couldn't get any, you know, early night showings previous or anything like that. It was like, you know, almost part and parcel with the um, HBO Max release. Yeah, and so, but what's weird, because for Denis Villeneuve's Dune, like, they had that drop, like, on HBO Max, I want to say, like, it, I could be wrong, but, like, I know that dropped at, like, I think, like, 6 p.m. the day before to, yes. like, coincide with, like, the IMAX and theater showings, mm-hmm. um, which didn't happen. Like this premiered at three p. Uh, sorry, three a.m. Eastern Standard Time on HBO Max, and I that morning I deliberately woke up at two a.m. Got ready for work. So I had to be in, I had to be in at work at five. I deliberately watched one hour of the movie and stopped the film on HBO Max at the moment where like Neo is like like takes the red pill and he awakens into the real world again. And that's how I watched the first hour of this film. Then like I waited approximately like 12 hours, saw it in IMAX. So I got to experience that first hour again. Um, And then like, I've watched it a couple of times on HBO Max since then. But I have to, like, I, one thing I want from this movie is I want like, I don't even know if the shooting script would be the correct term. I want to see like what it was they had before they went to principal photography. Ah, okay. I okay. want to see the, the the script that was signed off on, like basically before principal photography began, and that's what I want to see because I feel that I, I, it feels like things were cut in this movie. Like, even though this movie makes a very big point, obviously, we'll get into the themes about, like, the studio system and creativity and regurgitation of... Our parent company, Warner Brothers, is going to do it with or without us. I I am not kidding you. My dick got hard that moment. I'm just like, oh, God, please stop. Like, like, in this... And, like, I couldn't believe that. Like, my junk started to wiggle a little when we see Neo's desk in the office and we see all the merchandise from the first three films and i'm just like 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 he's got the toys toy. <laughs> and i'm like he even has like i'm like i'm losing even like we talked about in our series like the giant hunk of plastic sentinel i'm just like 
oh god i'm like like this is almost as bad as tron legacy where they have the tron toy that i always <laughs> wanted i'm like um but no like i want i want that like i want that shooting script that like has everything in it before clearly like things change during principal photography never yes. mind editing yeah i course. want what the notion of this film was before like it like started to be translated into like physical space I'm with you. I'm with you completely. And I think it goes for both of us that we want that for every Wachowski's project, period. You know, I, I would love their raw thoughts on things, whether it be Lana or any of them in their previous movies. I I think we did this in the other, in the Inside the Matrix recording as well. Maybe we should get to it earlier here. I, I don't want to speak for you, Zach, but I think we fucking love this movie. I know I fucking I, love this I'm, movie. I'm so conflicted about this movie um, because, like, I, I think we talked about it. I forget. It might be in the OG Matrix Resurrection. Yes. In, in the previous recording, I think it takes us an hour and a half for us to say what we sure. think about the movie. Sure. I want to get that out of the way a little earlier this time. <laughs> sure. But this is the thing, though, is that, like, I, I know I told Rob, like, my favorite film of 2021 is Malignant. Um, Malignant has possibly my favorite sequence in cinematic history of a like a camera slow zooming in a little girl with like a toy phone and you're like the parents are like Janie who are you talking whoever the character's name in that movie is Janie she like slams it down very like, like guilty wise and nobody like, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, like, that, uh, that I hate that movie I, yeah, I despise I that movie but there, tune into our four year extravaganza because we have to cover it because I got too drunk during that discussion <laughs> Yeah, yeah, huh? There's a lot of movies where we can say that about last year. Yeah, four year extravaganza um, is going to be uh, six hours long this year. <laughs> it's going to be a clean. It's going to be a mop up of 2021. Yes. Like the amount of house cleaning that has to be done. And I'm in that not episode. apologizing for any of it until then. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is the thing though. Like Malignant's my favorite film of last year. Um, but like Matrix Did Resurrection. Did you see the Nowhere In, Zach? Did you watch when I sent that to you? Did you watch the Nowhere In St. Vincent's movie? No. It's objectively better than Malignant. No, Malignant. Okay, we're not having a men, women, and children discussion. Okay, that's again. fair. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Malignant but also, a, a strip of Dilbert is better than Malignant. But please continue. No, no, <laughs> no, no. You're wrong. You're, you are. You are. You are. You're not wrong. But again, this is okay. I have to say this, and this is the end of it. This is this is always the qualifier. I have to add to Rob. Is it like Rob and I both agree it's a bad movie? I think it's a masterpiece because it's <laughs> so bad. Rob's like, no, it's objectively bad, and that's the thing. I'm drawing a different conclusion from the analysis that's like it's like oh i it's like somebody has cancer rob's like oh that's bad their life will end and i'm like yes that's bad but it's a good thing because you know what the spirit never dies and it's like <laughs> there's different conclusions to take from bad news that's uh, how i see it. my my and, conclusion from this little bit is that me editing these two episodes together will be like putting together a uh, a puzzle <laughs> and i can't I wait to see the like final malignant, product there would be a giant tumor on the back of the episode well that goes without saying i mean <laughs> some of the stuff i got no. into in the matrix <laughs> the thing about matrix resurrections is that like it's literally like on a thematic level it's everything i could possibly want from like a big budget studio film I'm with like, you it's, there. i think it's, this is it's the per perfect it's per thematic encapsulation of where the matrix should go i'm totally with you there it's it's I would have to say that that sequence, that montage we get, like, where it begins with Christina Ricci and it's, like, the uh, brainstorming conference room scenes is literally everything I've been trying to convey to the Star Wars podcast audience <laughs> for almost five years now. Like, but, it is so literally— like, when, when, you, when you say that, I just want to dive into that. When you say that, are you on the same page with me in that everything they're saying in that brainstorm montage is wrong? 
they they are they are picking out the things that the mass audiences liked about the matrix but like we talked about in our discussion and which i vehemently defend to this day when i'm not on the podcast is not what the first matrix is about no but that but that's not like that's not like, okay this is how i interpret that okay scene. okay remember remember i am the person that loves how the sausage is made sure for sure. better or worse that scene go is it's not there. Oh, I, I, yes, it's. I there. think I see what you're saying, but please continue. It's, okay. It's, of course, it's there to like have that element that you were about to say, but how I interpret that scene, or at least the point of it, how I see, is it's that notion of how are big budgeted studios made. It's not like a, a writer sent into a hotel room for like eight weeks. Mm-hmm. It is told to like write a screenplay, then write a script. Now, how movies are made is a bunch of people who don't understand what made this thing popular sit in a room for a month and they just sit there try to distill the essence to, in, the essence of why it was popular into like a dozen buzzwords. Yeah, yeah, I think we I don't remember what episode It's a fundamental we said it on. Mis, it's okay. a fundamental mishandling of how media should be created. Exactly, exactly. The the committee building of movies has become the akin to what political think tanks of the early 2000s have become. A bunch of people who want to just be as loud as possible and argue with people, and that releases the worst cracked egg of birth possible, if that makes sense. But I think, but I think yes, you're right, you are correct, but it's that notion of like, it's not malevolent. Yes. It's just these people just, it, it's the equivalent of Oh God! Like when like you'll hear stories, but like oh like Dole, who does a bunch of like fruit and vegetable products, like they do like salad mixes, and mm-hmm. like I think just recently had like like what like a E. coli or salmonella outbreak, yep. and it has to be recalled. It's like it's not malevolent actions. It's just like oh something went bad in the process, and that's how you get inferior media. Yes, if anybody like it's remembers, not malevolent. Uh... It's just. It's just something went wrong. It's, it's a, weirdly enough, it's a glitch in the machine. Exactly. If anybody remembers, listen back to our episode on the Hudsucker Proxy, where Zach and I yep. spend 10 minutes on Dole and Chiquita Banana and how somebody killed <laughs> themselves over it. That's That happened, folks, and we talked about it. But I'm totally with you. That's a great comparison. And that, I'm with you. I love that montage. I love the whole idea, maybe for more of the meta reasons that I'm getting at where these people are talking about, you know, why did people like The Matrix? X, Y, Z reasons. And I'm watching this and I'm going, oh my god, Lana is actually talking about all the wrong reasons people liked The Matrix. And don't get me wrong, people liked The Matrix for those reasons. They like action. They like bullet time. They like these these concepts, you know, these sci-fi concepts. It effed with your head, as the guy says. But as I know it, and I hope our cinema audience knows as well, that is the wrong message to take from The Matrix. And when we get to the, the later parts in this movie, of course... This discussion taking place in the new iteration of the Matrix just makes that scene better, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, no, and that and that's the thing. Like that entire sequence in like that montage where we get like obviously we see Neo eating the 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 oh god like ultra rare steak. It looks disgusting how he's eating it. <laughs> Which and I I love because you said that in our first with Cipher eating the steak. You were like that steak is undercooked. <laughs> And this, but this is the thing though. In this version, like how it's filmed and portrayed, it's deliberately 
intended to be repulsing. Like Keanu Reeves is eating it in a way that is supposed to repulse you. It's supposed to show you that like this is not meant to be anything satisfying. And it's when just, he again, eats, when he eats it, he uh, cheers. He toasts his wine glass to nobody, to the mirror yeah. almost. Which is once again my favorite thing about these movies: reflection. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's the thing. No, and that's where I find it. Uh, there, there's so much. Like that sequence alone is worth the pro, uh, the price of admission. That one sequence on top of everything else, and that's where I'm just like, like, okay, I, I, I like I said, I there's a part of me that like, I admire the ideas of this movie maybe more than like this is a complete like, oh god, product or or as a film. Like the I, I respect and admire and love the ideas more than I do the finished product. If you if you are not willing to sit down with a highlighter and a syllabus for these series, you might as well not watch them at all, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so what you're trying to say is that these movies are for the for oh god, forget about uninitiated, but for those not willing to ver to very much invest the time and energy into this franchise in almost impenetrable. Absolutely, which is why I love it so much. You, Zach, you know I love me some impenetrable movies. I'm not talking about you though, but you have to no, realize no, no, that. No, okay, no, no, I'm film sorry. Goes I'm sorry. Beyond used, the, the individual yes. viewer. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I related it back to me, but yes, you're right. Yes, if you're not ready to dive into this multiple viewings and really try and dissect it, what the fuck's the point? You know. That's the thing where like like the people who have like who have complaints about this movie, I think what happens again, it goes back to the thing about like again, like Star Wars film criticism or just any for any film franchise, is that people don't like something. They have a hard they have a hard time articulating what it is that they don't like. And because they again everybody I would say what, seven tenths of everybody on the internet is an idiot. Um, instead of trying to <laughs> think about why it is underestimate. They, yeah, probably. Um, instead of trying to think about what it is they didn't like about something, they just repeat the talking points. Yes. Even if it's even yes. if they don't even if they subconsciously don't agree with the talking points, it's just easier to say, I don't like this thing because of X internet reason than it is to ponder on it and say, Oh, these particular things didn't speak to me. Maybe I cut out the first 40 minutes of the episode and put it in here, because that's exactly what the point I was making, Zach. That's exactly it. You hit the nail on the head. And I think that's the issue with these movies. But this goes back to, like, the weird kind of, like, low-key point I was making throughout the, the Matrix trilogy discussions. And that, like, this is where I was hoping that, like, ugh, Lana would have been, had the self-restraint to have been, like, I'm going to make a coherent film I'm going to, again, much like Bugs and other characters, be like, I'm going to kind of lose the battle to win the war in that I want to sit there and make a coherent, digestible film so people will then understand what it is that I was going, what me and my sister were going for in these first three films. Then kind of, then go, if they were, if they had any intention to make a fifth film, that's when you sit there kind of to do that. Like, that's the thing. I wish they would have, Lana would have, again, this is me being very, very selfish, Sure. But I wish they would have tried. Lana would have made to would have one made a more film that was not interested in reforming the trilogy or maybe recontextualizing it in a way that people could understand what it is they're going to get at, instead of just more just doubling down on their very unique way of explaining things. 
Well, no, I or expositing. Not, that's right. That's my frustration is that they the the Wachowskis made three very very provocative films, as in the Matrix trilogy. Yes. And I wish Lana would have been like, okay, I'm making. We talked about this already, but like, I am making this movie to hand to deal with the grief of our deceased parents. Sure. Sure. And, yeah. and, and I want to sit there and do that, but like I, I again, I don't know, because like, this feels like what happens at the very end of this film is oh, it's the idea of a dis- I don't want to say distraught, a what would you even call it a distanced couple? What would you even call Neo and Trinity? Like like what would you call their relationship? Honestly, Zach, I'm glad you bring this up because I did not look at the actual term for this but I knew it was going to come up. I think the title for what is going on between Neo and Trinity is the same thing that's going on between Kylo Ren and Rey. What is it called by Palpatine? The Dyad Force. I was going to say the Didact. It's Dyad. Dude, this is literally the Dyad in the Force. At the end of the movie, Neil Patrick Harris says this is a Dyad in the Force. Are, are you trying to sit there and make me love this even more? Are you trying? This, this movie. Okay, can I can I just say this? Are we right saying off the bat? Rise of Skywalker is influencing the Wachowski? And uh, Wachowski? No, I'm not saying that. Well, I might be saying that, but I'm saying this movie is better than Space Jam Two. This movie does what? Well, uh, let me re- let me restart this. This movie does what Space Jam 2 wanted to do better. This movie does what I think Rise of Skywalker wanted to do better. I think this movie does better than what No Way Home wanted to do. Spider-Man No I, Way Home. I, 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 I no, think this is no, the culmination. Okay, I, okay, Space Jam that, 2, I agree. It's not hard to be better than Space Jam oh, yeah. 2. Space, Space um, Jam 2 is literally a reference movie. Like, yes. it, it is, it is, I, it is I, easy I think, to beat that bar. I think you present- a, a small child Good, could bro. puke up macaroni and make a better movie than Space Jam 2, to be honest. But check that out on the Patreon. I don't think it's a better take. I think The Matrix Resurrections is the antithetical take on what Spider-Man No Way Home is trying to get at. What do you mean antithetical in the sense of you know d- d- just derising? It's the flip side. It's the flip. It's the flip side of the coin. Where like in, in the main again, Spider-Man No Way Home is like a hundred percent steeped in like sugar-coated nostalgia. That it's like it's like the equivalent of like getting mad that like you have to take like like a. Uh, Oh god, a big pill and being mad that like oh it's like it's sugar coated. It's like oh okay, there's nothing to really dislike about it in that sense. Like it's it's it goes down very smooth. It's like cough medicine, but like with a very nice like like oh god berry flavor. It's like it's like okay, like it, it went down smooth. Like it's it's a sugar coated pill. And I like, have to agree like, with you. It did it did go down smooth. I, yes, I have to give you that. and like yeah. I said, <laughs> uh, Spider-Man: Way Home has its problems that we'll talk about next week, though. But for the most part, they're very hard to notice once you're in the middle of that film. Maybe my relation is Spider-Man: No Way Home went down like a smooth pill. Matrix Resurrection existed in my stomach from its being. Like well, I, didn't I, have to I, I, I don't even think I don't even think you can compare the two. But the point being <sighs> is that like made, again, Spider-Man: No Way Home is a nostalgia treat. And Matrix Resurrections is supposed to be, this is why that sort of stuff is unhealthy for your diet. 
But uh, Zach, of course, as uh, as we're here in the real world, um, what else did you want to talk about with this movie? Well, I here, think okay, me, go for let it. Let me let me let me bring this. Like I said, I'm going to do a zanger thing. I'm going to do a zanger. Oh, I think that's yes, the, only, the worksheets. I think that's the I have. Uh, yes, the worksheet. I think if we, if, like I said, I think we'll be here forever if we just try like disseminating this like piece by piece. Sure. Um. So I'm going to ask. Okay, what was your okay? I'm going to say favorite top two favorite things from the film when you say things am i allowed to choose like scenes, scenes? characters moments oh, anything because i okay. feel i feel like if i say character that's kind of like we all know who the best new character in this movie is oh bugs exactly bugs is the love best bugs i mean that's I, the thing. I, I think i think you're saying favorite new characters is like it's it's a fait accompli it's bugs i don't want to bugs as in bunny and tech that listens i love that delivery that's so good i mean that and she says what's scene. up doc yes yes i love that i mean that whole opening scene um is is great i love the whole thing it looks like old code something familiar you know um the whole thing with the new morpheus and stuff like that but okay, i'm glad oh, go I for want... it Let's talk about new uh, Yahya Abdul Mateen. Yes, Candyman himself, or Candyman yes. Redux thank, himself. Thank God he can. Thank God he at least knows how to try to act. <laughs> He's not just a glorified cardboard cutout as oh, he was Candyman. If everybody remembers, Zach and I and Jeremy and Rachel got to see Candyman in theaters. We were the only people there. Um, as I look back on it, I I think more and more as much as I hate it. I do agree with you, Zach. Uh, we should have seen Malignant in theaters other than Candy, oh. rather than Candyman. Oh, even though I don't. Things. I think I would have liked Malignant more because that is a garbage movie. You have, <laughs> no, you have lost your mind. No, 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 no. I, okay, I probably would, goddamn back to Malignant. I probably I would think, have liked it more seeing it with you. I can, I can there admit is that. There's an yeah. alternate universe where instead of seeing Candyman and going to the goddamn trashy theme park, we would have <laughs> sat there all seen Malignant in theaters. I would have lost my shit seeing that in the theater, like not knowing anything because they did a fantastic job of hiding the spoilers in that movie. Don't you dare say – I agree with you. That we should have seen Malignant over Candyman, but don't you dare say we shouldn't have gone to trashy five to seven <laughs> flags because we got a great set of recordings that will never be released to the public that I've edited that I, we will never release. But I did a whole blend of the Cinemodities intro with the six flag music. We have our thoughts on after rides. But here's the thing. No one's ever going to hear that. We will never release that to the public. That's just for Zach and I. So don't say for... that was not worth it. It was relative to mal seeing Malignant like Virgin. Oh, God. Virgin eyed. Oh, there is nothing. Rob, like that's the thing that makes me so goddamn mad. But like, I just get into like again, The Matrix Resurrections is a, a film very much also about like personal quirks and like like why we do things. Yes. If oh god, like I need to learn how to sit there like just take a chance on a movie because if you, Jeremy, Rachel, and I seeing Malignant in a theater completely not expecting what that film was. I think we would have all lost our minds. Oh, oh like that would have been a conversation yeah. for the ages. I, I can say without a doubt with how, you know, well, Jeremy and I know each other, he would have come out of malignant saying, I've never seen anything like that in my life. <laughs> I know that for a fact. I don't know if he would like yep. it or not, but he would have said that exact statement. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Exactly. And I, like I said, to this day, probably like I've, I've always said, I think it's in one of our episodes that I've had two cinematic regrets. It was not seeing The <laughs> Departed in theaters, not seeing Tron Legacy in IMAX. Ah. And we're now adding a third one to this list. It's not seeing it's not seeing Malignant in theaters when Rob was in goddamn <laughs> New York. Sure, sure. Hey, anyway, uh, aside yes, from. Yeah, yeah, dual machine. Yes. Um, it is I, so I, good to see him. 
emoting. I guess that's yes. the best way to put it. He's trying. He's trying. <laughs> I mean, He's not kidding. only He's is trying. he trying, but I love the fact that he is almost he no no I, it maybe not chewing is the best word he is literally fingering the scenery when he's well, he, involved but, is, but like that's the thing though and that like a lot of, I, I know before the film was released they released the clip of his initial interaction with neo in the bathroom yes and that is intentionally meant to be a very hammy sequence yeah yeah, yeah and dummies like, on the i internet couldn't just i couldn't resist the callback and all these years later here i am coming out of a bathroom stall <laughs> yes and and you have like keanu really doing the whoa like, like he's really leaning into that yes and like and of course they pick that clip to put on the internet and obviously the people who already ha- were already gung-ho to hate this it just gave them ammunition and but like <sighs> He's doing what he's told, so I don't blame him. But this is a question I have to ask you because everybody knows who's listened to our like 85 hours of Matrix content <laughs> from last month. Morpheus's role post revolutions in in the Matrix lore. Sure. Okay. So I this I, is my question. This is where I oh, want to segue into Morpheus yeah, as yeah. in the character uh, Lawrence Fishburne's portrayal of the character, and then as a third entity, Yahya Abdul-Mateen being. Basically credited as Smith slash Morpheus. Yes, very importantly three, so, yes. Three very distinct versions of the character. Mm-hmm. And so this is my question. Much like how Rob laid out in, in the Matrix episodes, what happens post-revolutions uh, with Morpheus, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, is that Morpheus becomes frustrated with the fact that the machines never return Neo's body. So he basically goes around the matrix committing terrorist attacks, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He is, um, he's very upset that they do not have the remnants of the one of the savior. And, um, he becomes part of the, uh, the the people or the group the faction in the MMO that wants to release everyone from the matrix he is part of the faction that believes the matrix should not exist that the real world should be the only um stance of existence at that point okay and that video game was from 2005 right yeah 2005 to 2009 yes yes okay Okay, I'm just trying to lay this out because I, I I have legitimate questions. No, I'm glad. I'm actually I'm actually very excited that Zach is is remembering or, or knowing yes. things oh, I that I, I. Okay, good. No, Zach. Okay, because I, mean, I know in I'm stuff that I did research for this <laughs> that you see the Morpheus character gunned down in the MMO, right? In the MMO, he is killed by the recycle bin program brought back by the Merovingian. Also, I have to say. I, I don't want to get off topic or anything, Zach, but I have to say, also in the MMO, we see Niobe die. Niobe clearly is not dead, of course, in this. But I just wanted to lay that out there. But please continue. Wait, Niobe are... dies in the MMO? She is presumed to be dead. But she's not, because I know in the MMO, you see, there's actual, like, gameplay footage of Morpheus being gunned down. Yes, down. that is the difference. In, in the, the, We don't have that for Niobe, but it's presumed that she dies. In the case of Morpheus, we get the actual cutscene, the fundamental cutscene, not, like, based on what you play, but an anchor point in the MMO mm-hmm. of Morpheus yeah. getting deleted by the recycle bin program known as the Bugman, who is a bundle of flies brought into the yes. Matrix by the Merovingian. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> But this okay. Now I want to transition into Matrix Resurrections lore. Yes, oh, in Matrix yes. Resurrection, dude, I'm fucking, I am rock hard right now, Zach. Go for <laughs> it. <laughs> so in Matrix Resurrections, when Neo gets brought back into the real world, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith comes back. Come is there's Niobe, a what? At least in her mid to late eighties, Niobe. 
right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so she is now the um, the the general or commander of um, Io, the the new yes. human city. Yes. Great fact: the human new human city is called Io, where the original machine city was called Zero One. Look at that reflection, everybody! Rob, oh, Rob, I Rob, love it. Rob, 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 I want you to look directly into the microphone and say it with me. <laughs> Mobile Avenue. (laughs) (laughs) Did everybody get that it's an anagram of limbo? (laughs) Did everybody get that zero and one is an anagram of I and O? (laughs) I love how clunky this is. I guess the thing, this movie is brilliant, but it's also like clunky at the same time. Can I I just make a, a really shameless plug? There's a reason that the... The Patreon for Cinemodity exists so Ben and I can discuss every single episode of Adventure Time. Ben and I discuss the Adventure Time lore as clunkily as I discuss the Matrix lore. Just imagine if you had another version of Rob who is so steeped in a, in a lore that we want to talk about it. Everybody, check out the Patreon for Cinemodities. <laughs> but please, continue, Zach. I'm with you. I'm, I'm still rock hard, but please continue. <laughs> But this is the thing in the because what Niobe's at least in her mid to late eighties, yes. right? When we yeah. see her, unrecognizable okay. as Jada Pinkett Smith, I think. Pretty much the the unless you know, unless you know, unless you know your Matrix lore, unrecognizable. Yes, but uh, I I think just in terms of a practical standpoint, on a movie making standpoint, I love her old age makeup. I don't know what you thought about that, Zach. It's a little over the top, but it's what you'd expect from, well, from well, like are, are you from the Wachowski. Her makeup is a little over the top, or her acting is low. Because I thought her her Both. acting is old Both. age. Was, I thought Both. the makeup was perfect. Well, no, no, okay, remember, okay, I love ham. I love over the top, <laughs> so I have no problems with it. But I think objectively speaking, it's over the top. I don't. Okay. I, I, like I said, all she was missing was. Did she have a cane? I think so. I think she did. Okay, okay. I was about to say the only thing I was missing was a cane. She I think cane, she had a cane because there's there's the thing when um when her and Neo talk the first time and she's like, "Come with me. We have to go visit the strawberry fields or whatever." And um she's like, "Please help me up." I think we see a cane in that scene. For okay. Sure. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair enough. I mean, I'm so I'm sorry to my to the cinema audience that I don't remember exactly. I've only seen this movie seven fucking times now. <laughs> You're, you are truly an embarrassment to the Wachowskis fans, Rob. <laughs> truly an embarrassment. Um, but no, because we, as Rob, if Rob will insert it at some point. I don't know. He'll figure out the good spot to plug it in. But you have Niobe, and there's a giant, like, statue of Morpheus. Yes. And she explains that, like, basically after the attack on Zion happened, he was elected unanimously as the leader of the new High human contingent. Yep. High Counselor of Zion. Absolutely. Yeah, he, uh, he took okay. over for um, the, um, the old guy that talked to neo in um episode two Ep- i call it episode two in reloaded <laughs> you know <laughs> we saw machines at war with one another we got word from the oracle of a new power rising that was the last we heard from her morpheus after the siege he was elected unanimously High Chair of the Council. Oh, how he loved that. <laughs> but as rumors of this new power spread, he ignored them. He was certain what you had done would not be undone. All of these people never stopped believing in miracles, believing in you. This is the thing, though. 
that kind of pissed me off because I'm like, clearly we're talking about two characters that are different. The MMO character, yeah. post-Revolutions, is clearly an entirely different character than the Revolutions, I'm sorry, the Resurrections lore Morpheus that I'm, were presented. I'm glad you bring this up because as um, I think Zach and I talked about when we were having this discussion inside the Matrix um, versus now when we're outside the Matrix, Zach brought up a lot of things that I got right about this movie. This is the thing that makes no sense. Uh, it seems like the Morpheus of the Matrix Resurrections universe is distinctly different from what happened in the MMO, which is very strange to me because this movie, Resurrections, Matrix 4, does draw on a lot of the facets that did happen in the MMO. So it seems like Lana is picking and choosing what she wanted to do. And and to harp on that a little further, you are absolutely right in what we are what we learn in the Matrix Resurrections, Morpheus became high counselor, but was flawed in thinking that what Neo did could never be undone. And that was the downfall of Zion. I just wanted to say that real quick before you got into more of what you wanted to say, Zach. So please continue. Well, this is, but this is the thing though, where like, I, I again, it's not that, like why I make these comments, like what I just said and what I'm about to say, it's not that I want the movie to spoon feed these like points to me. It's just like, okay, because Niobe's entire character in this is that she likes the quiet. She likes the fact that there's not this impending doom yes. and the fact that like human society isn't just simply now advancing again for the first time in how many centuries. It's the fact there's some like almost reconciliation with the machines, yes. with, with their own kind of splinter faction. Um, my problem is, is that like there's moments like when they fly. What's what's Bugs' ship name? Uh, ship's name? The Nemesine, which is the name for the Greek goddess of memory. I fucking love that shit, man. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but like when they're flying into Io, we get like, a very weirdly cutesy sequence where Neo's like, "We're about to fly into a rock wall. We're gonna crash." <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm like, why? Why do we? Like this is it's one of very few moments where I'm like, why do we need this? Yeah, but like we see them fly in. And there's a giant turret, like almost the same size that was in Zion, that's just waiting. Yep. yep. And in the moment, like the ship flies through, it kind of goes back into st uh, standby mode. And I think Bugs is the one who makes the comment, like, "Oh, like we 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 realize the bugs will never stop, so we had to start getting a little more clever in our defenses." Yeah, we had to, uh, just to like, camouflage ourselves. I believe. Yeah. Seek, Seek says camouflage. Yeah. Yeah, and, I'm, and the whole time I'm sitting there, like after the fact, reflecting upon it, and I'm just like. The machines kind of don't care what the humans are doing anymore. Well, like they, that, uh, they kind well, of okay. Pause, sorry, pause, sorry. Again, like, let me let me <laughs> let me explain my perspective. Then you can you can correct me. Is that because we do get the line from Neil Patrick Harris's The Analyst later in the film, where he's like, "I've created like," it, and again, this is the the brilliance of this film on like a metatextual level. Is that he's like he's doing the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram thing. He's mm -hmm. like, if I if I plug in enough incendiary things into the matrix people almost like the fact that like i'm constantly poking them yes. he's like and, and it goes back to what the mayor like things that we learned from like the first like generation of the matrix where like human beings don't like it when things are copacetic they need a certain level of like walking on eggshells being prodded for them to like accept the illusion exactly which is what the fucking second renaissance animatrix portion is all about and I don't want to get too far ahead, Zach, but when Neil Patrick Harris, as the analyst, says he has that line in his monologue when he says, I've been breaking output records every year since I've been here, I literally in the theater went, 
Oh, I am so into whoa, that whoa, shit, whoa, man. Rob, 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 Rob. <laughs> what, is the, what is the thing? I, I forget what it was. We've done, you've done it before a couple times on the podcast. What's the thing I do when I see dancing in a movie? <laughs> I don't know exactly what you're looking for, but I'm assuming it's something similar to, oh. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm, I'm looking. I'm. Lo- I'm not looking at the recording r- audio right now. I'm looking at my audio processor. It is flashing red when I go oh, which means I'm clipping, which is a good thing for that emotion. <laughs> beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But yeah, I don't want to get too far ahead. But you're exactly right with what you're saying. I think you're getting at this idea. But this is. But this. Go like, for but it. Like, okay, yeah. We've reached. Like, you tell me if I'm wrong for maybe misinterpreting it. But it seems like the machines are like they have oh god they have it under control in the sense of like okay like human beings can leave if they want but we've reached a point where they don't even want to leave again everybody is pleasantly copacetic to the nonsense or to the turmoil um that's why like when they make comments about like the turret and like the sentinels or the squids it's like they they seem to not even care about you anymore. Like they 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 have like the machines have weirdly risen above the conflict to the point where like I get it. Like the giant turret is there because it's one of those things where like well just because you live in a good neighborhood doesn't mean you don't have a lock on your door. Sure, yeah. um, I get that, but like it feels like like weirdly I don't want to say probably not superfluous isn't the right word, but it feels almost on a visual level jarring because it doesn't like oh god correlate or gel with what everything we're being told and presented i yes yes so i think there's a lot to unpack here but you're i think you're absolutely yes right. i've thrown a lot at rob um so i think the first thing i want to say is um it's something that i i know we uh, well I, I i don't know if we talked about it explicitly in our matrix reloaded episode i know that um for a cinema audience knows but maybe zach does not know i did put a little correction uh with some additional details about the mmo in that episode just to fill in some gaps of what i didn't he talk did, about folks i listened to it thank I you heard the correction okay. in real time like the rest of you perfect thank you so um there i and i don't also this was so long ago i don't remember if i mentioned this but there is a point in the mmo where the humans break the peace treaty with the machines in the mmo there is a moment when a um a, a Zion ship, because Zion still exists in the MMO, a Zion-based ship destroys one of the machine's uh, transport um, uh, carriers or facilities or something like that, and the architect says, well, the truce is off. And as we know now in this movie, when that happens, the architect uh, you know, basically contracts the construction of the Anomalium great fucking name, which we're going to have to talk about a lot more, um, and that leads the way to the Anomalium, the Analyst, and things like that. So... I think that while you're correct in saying that the machines don't really care about the humans anymore, they care about them more as the energy source, hearkening back to the end of the second movie when the architect says, you know, there are levels of survival that we're willing to accept. I think that there is something... I took that turret, I guess is what I'm saying. The turrets or the entrance to Io, the new version of the human city, that's just the lingering feelings of insecurity that still we could have the machines turn against us it's the idea that yes what neo did at the end of the original trilogy oh god that sounds so stupid when i say it because i think it's fucking Star okay Wars i want you, okay real quick real quick real quick, sure, real quick sure. uh, a sidebar 
um, like I think it was a week or two prior to the film, the Rachel, uh, Matrix Resurrections coming out, some podcast that just kind of like stumbled across my Twitter feed, like somehow got access, saw this film, like legitimately, okay. and they posted a review. And they didn't get embargoed about any of it, and they they talked about it. But obviously, like any good Matrix Resurrections like conversation, you have to talk about the previous three films, and they kept referring to the Matrix, the Matrix Reloaded, the Matrix Revolutions as the original trilogy. <laughs> And my brain started to melt. And I'm just like – and it's weird. Like, and this is like one of those more like, oh, God, cultural zeitgeist, oh, God, semantic yeah, issues. Yeah. But like we've reached a point like in the culture when you're talking about film and you say the original trilogy, that is a term almost exclu- – oh, God, exclusive to Star Wars, right? Absolutely. When you say yeah. the original yeah. trilogy when you're talking about cinema – that term is exclusive, right? Or am I wrong? No, I, I'm totally with you. That's exactly why I just made fun of myself in real time for saying it about the Matrix movies. I mean, Which is no one's going to say that, like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade is the original trilogy, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's funny you mentioned it, because I thought about that, too, because that's another one of those perfect examples of, like, you have three films that came out in one decade, and then another film was made 15 years later, and it's weird, like, we never referred to those first three Indiana Jones films as the original trilogy. We always refer to them by their specific titles or, quote, the first three films, end quote. Well, I've also um, encountered people who say the Indiana Jones trilogy and refuse to acknowledge well, yeah, the yeah, existence yeah, yeah. of Crystal Skull, um, which, hot take, Crystal Skull's not bad. <laughs> fun fact, fun fact, the worst Indiana Jones film is the second one. I think I would have to agree. My favorite's yeah. the third one. Goddamn that. Yes. Last Crusade and Return of the Jedi. I love me some threes, man. <laughs> Damn straight. But yes, no, I'm sorry. But yes, though, the continue on your point. I yeah, just wanted so, to bring that up. So what I was saying is that I think the, the events of what Neo accomplished at the end of the first three movies, at the end of Reloaded, sets the stage for you know, humans and machines working together. But even though in, this, in Resurrections we see a close-knit community of some machines and humans, you still have the insecurity of humanity needing to defend themselves. And that's how I took the turret and the camouflage of Io and things like that. If that answers your question. We, Who does? We, we're, no, we're on like I guess 16 I don't... fucking tangents every five seconds, Zach. This movie's well, insane. That's the problem with this movie is that like, there's literally, like, I, I think, again, like, I told Rob about this. There was a podcast. I would imagine it's still in existence. It was called Star Wars Minute, and they would literally break down every yes. single minute of a yes. Star Wars film. I think you could do that. You could create your own podcast for the Matrix 4 films, and you have like a decades plus worth of content. I would be all about that, but I would say if you want to do a minute-by-minute podcast with me, It'd be about fucking lost. I would do a minute of lost every Rob, week. Rob, that would take multiple <laughs> lifetimes. To exactly. Do that. Exactly. I'd have to. I'd have to like <laughs> bestow that upon my children. Like I'd have children just to bestow that upon my children. <laughs> Rob leaves his fortune to his children. And the only condition is they have to continue this God podcast. Hey, quick, quick tangent. This is real quick. I don't know if you guys been seeing it. I don't know if Zach see, but I've been seeing it because I'm a fucking nonsense man who looks up lost YouTube videos. This fucking video that's been trending for a while, it's called Lost, the show that no one wanted to make. I've been really tempted to just fucking make a YouTube video disregarding that. I fucking hate that video. It's like 30 minutes and they're like, Lost is garbage. No one wanted to make it. Everybody hated it. Like... Like, Michelle Rodriguez purposely got a DUI to get out of the show. You're fucking <laughs> stupid. I, I'm not even going to credit the guy. I know the YouTube user that made this video. You're a fucking moron. Nobody gets into legal trouble to get out of a contract. That's a fucking stupid thing to say. Okay, 
uh, please continue. Can we, can, can we can we please use that as, as, as like an explanation as to why things don't happen anymore? Like anytime an actor commits like a crime, can we say they only incurred this infraction to get out of X project? Well, no, I don't want to say that. Zach, can we please use Zach that? Knows as that I, I spent a weekend in jail and couldn't go to New York because of it. I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> I want everybody to know Rob show Rob did not want to see the rise of Skywalker with me so badly that he chose to commit a crime to get out of it. I didn't I didn't go to jail on purpose. <laughs> it was just a ben, it was just a pleasant accident that it got should out I, of Should I leave this Star in? Wars. Is this is this the better place to put it than the fucking guy Richie Aladdin episode? which i watched I in jail is, I, is this I, the better I, place to put it <laughs> i love the idea that like in the wild wild west episode rob explicitly is like yeah like i watched that movie but not under the best of circumstances i know i've said but it we'll like four or five times now in the podcast i'm like we're gonna talk about it but i can't talk about how i saw it is it is it finally time to say that i fucking I spent a did. weekend in jail like i i've been to jail and i'm very upset about it but i've lived through it i, I don't know somebody post on the reddit what do you think rob went to jail <laughs> I spent, I spent 48 hours in jail. <laughs> I am logging into Reddit right now to start this thread. I am starting and logging in right now. Well, I guess, Zach, that's the end of this episode. We're going to have to f- do a third Matrix Resurrections. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. No, I, mean, I, but I I think I'm with you with this idea of all over the placeness. I think that's what we're talking about, right? Oh, yes. I have a lot of questions for Rob. Like this is one of those episodes. Like in a weird way, like it weren't for the fact that Rob went on like a forty-five minute diatribe about internet culture. Um, I really wanted to start off the podcast with this question. Okay, Rob, you explain to the audience what a simulation is. You explain to the audience what a simulacrum is. Yeah. yeah. Could you please explain to the audience what a simulate is? <laughs> it's a snack in the Cinemati's restaurant that is a pure representational hologram of a cup of coffee. <laughs> I, I kept seeing that, and like literally as I was watching the movie, I was just like kind of cack. Like I'm just like, <sighs> but but all joking aside, oh, no, that's the why I wanted to start. Don't this even. Episode, I but... mean, don't even get me started. You got simulate. You got cafe zoetrope across the street from the yeah, uh, yeah. noodle shop where Sati is yeah. in the in this new Matrix, which I call the Anomalium Matrix. What a fucking great word, the Anomalium. Oh my god. Okay, this is the point where I had. In, in that first, like, kind of 30-minute diatribe about me being angry at internet culture, I really had a structure to go with. I, I really wanted to, to nail that down in the way that I did. Um, whether or not you've heard that or it's bonus content, because it, it'll come out in editing if that's worth listening to or not, because I get very angry. This is where I wanted to start. Zach, you know I'm the Matrix super fan. I am so oh, yeah. glad that so much of the Matrix Online played a role in this movie. I'm so glad. No, okay, 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 yeah, okay. So please, Zach, thi- okay. the floor Before- is yours. The floor is yours, Zach. Okay, two things. Uh, the, uh, Matrix Online, no. It, it picks and it cherry picks. It does, um, yes. But it, it, it cherry picks basically everything saw- one thing. It doesn't do the Morpheus thing. Everything else, I think, follows. That's the all that matters. Okay, okay. I don't want to get into that right okay, now because like, we'll, we'll get into fair, that. That fair. will be a fight between the two of us. <laughs> um, the one thing Rob got the most, like, I, I think I, it was a literal, like, it, Rob's referenced it in previous discussions. In Cats and Dogs, Revenge of Kitty Galore, <laughs> Rob always references the part where, like, something's about to happen to the dog, and, like, there was a woman in the audience yep. that, like, audibly gasped. He gets, gra- he gets hit by uh, a grappling hook. He's about to fall off the side, and as the dog gets pulled to the side of the ship, the woman next to us went, <gasps> and I went, you stupid okay. fucking bitch. The dog is the main character. It's not going to die 40 minutes into the hour and a half movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, the point of that being was there was a moment in this movie where I actually did that. Oh. And okay. Rob, you got something, like, almost like, if anyone listens to the Star Wars podcast, there's a moment before The Last Jedi where I actually call, there's going to be a fight, but there's going to be a Star Wars duel, and it's going to be Rey and Kylo Ren fighting back to back. I got that right. Yes, I remember that. You very got a very specific moment in this movie right. And maybe unintentionally, but you got it right. Jeez. There's a point where Niobe is talking to Neo, and they're talking about, like, the whatever happened to the current iteration of The Matrix, and it's like, that that was the last message we got from the Oracle before she was, I forget the exact word purged. they used, erased, purged. purged. Yep. And I literally did, <gasps> Rob, Rob, Rob got it right. They, they, they defragged the Matrix. You fucking bet I did. the Matrix. You fucking bet I got it and right. I literally, I, I literally gasped. I'm like, I couldn't believe Rob act. They didn't say the word defrag because that would somehow a lot of figured that would be too jarring to the audience. Yeah. That was where the line was drawn. The term defrag. That was yeah. where she couldn't I mean, go. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. But I was shocked <laughs> that Rob actually got that right. That the Matrix finally defragged itself. Not 100% well, Zach, I'm successfully. I'm glad you're happy for me. I'm also, I'm also a little upset that you didn't believe in me that much. I mean. <laughs> I'm shocked <laughs> that they went that far without calling it that. Like, I literally, like, I, I could not believe it. Like, I was floored. I'm just like. Man, that but they but they did do it. That that is the whole fucking point of the Merovingian scene and all the exiles coming back is that Smith New Smith Jonathan Groff, Jonathan Groff Smith says, "Oh, you know, I found some of your old acquaintances." We don't know why the Merovingian and the exiles are still there because if they were purged, they should have all been purged. But they probably got away on in limbo. They probably survived in limbo. That type of thing. Um, but okay, I'm sorry, Zach. I, uh, please, please, you continue because I I could go so hard into the lore of the matrix right now please zach i'm sorry <laughs> okay okay i part of this discussion because i know it's gonna be all over the place like and it already has so maybe too late but that's okay but getting back to like to the original focal point of this like 40 minutes later <laughs> yaya abdul mateen <laughs> oh his... jesus christ yes <laughs> so you have with this rob much like how you explain the mmo to us you explain the path of neo you explained enter the matrix in your own understanding of Matrix lore, which is extensive, can you explain the character that Yahya Abdul-Mateen is playing? So, as far as I can tell, and my understanding of the Matrix Resurrections, um, this version of Morpheus, which we should call him because that's who he plays in this movie, um, he is independent of the Morpheus that we know in prior iterations, whether it be the movies or it be the MMO. Because, as I know I said in our Matrix Revolutions episode, um, when Morpheus is killed by the, um, uh, the, the recycle bin program brought by the Merovingian, he does get reborn by the architect. The architect feels that Morpheus is a very, very important part of keeping the Matrix alive, just like, you know, the Oracle is the person to wrangle the one in, in Matrix Reloaded, as we learned. But the problem is that when Morpheus is reborn in the MMO, he is in a different shell. He looks different. And that's a big thing about the MMO is that the Matrix doesn't really create new things. It recycles old things but changes them slightly, which I do like in the connection to this movie. I think there's a little bit of recycling, specifically when we talk about Jonathan Groff as the new Smith. That's a big part of that. But, you know, in terms of Morpheus, I think a lot of the MMO is thrown out. As far as I can tell, as far as I know... Thomas Anderson, Neo, he recreates Morpheus, the savior to him, his 
may I say it, Virgin Mary, the person that gives birth to the one, is Morpheus in the original trilogy. God damn it, I did it again. In the original movie, he's the one who frees uh, Neo from the Matrix. And very importantly, everybody remember, there is the line of dialogue in the first Matrix movie where Morpheus says, I broke protocol to free you from the Matrix. Very, very religious-based notions there. I think the Morpheus of Yahya Abdul-Mateen, as is said in this movie... Neo takes both Morpheus and Smith to create Yahya Abdul-Mateen. I think this is really important. I think that Thomas Anderson, this brainwashed Keanu Reeves that lives in this new iteration of the Analyst Matrix, he creates this Morpheus in his modal to be a reference of what freed him from the Matrix originally. Because yes, physically, or digitally, however you want to think about it, Morpheus, Lawrence Fishburne, freed Neo from the Matrix. But at the same time, Neo would not have been able to leave the Matrix if it were not for Smith as well. Because I think that's a big thing about the first three movies. Neo and Smith are intrinsically connected. Neo is the 1% of the anomaly to free humanity. Smith is the 99% that is stronger than the Matrix itself. And that's going to come up later when we talk about something that everybody's complaining about on the internet. Does that answer your question, Zach? I, I know I'm rambling because there's so much it's to say. Not, no, it, but no, it, it's if there's not, any questions, no, let me know. I want to. I want to elaborate. Not, okay, but this is but this is one of those things where, um, considering this is a film that is so like oh god, metatextual about like just how movies are made, the creative process, what create uh, what the uh, creatives have to do, the studio being horribly misguided. When it comes to these things, I wish, and maybe this is an ideal scenario. Sure. They would have explained, not explained, but just in their very unique way, how they do everything else in this film when it comes to like elaborating on the fact that like there's corporate overlords. <laughs> sure. There would have been this element of explaining Yahya Abdul Mateen's character. Well, I, I guess that brings me to the question of what you've been saying and what I think I've seen a lot of people. And, you know, I, I don't want to. We're going back and forth through the real life in the Matrix, so you might have heard this, you might have not. I don't know how the hell I'm going to edit this shit together, Zach. But, <laughs> but I, I think that I, I don't, I fundamentally do not believe that the first act of Matrix Resurrections has to do with corporate overlords. I think it has to do more with misconceptions of the first movie. And I know what you're saying, and you're and you're talking about this kind of you know. Ham, maybe not ham-fistedness, that's not the right word, but this this idea of, you know, Warner Brothers taking over and saying we need to make another Matrix. I honestly view this as the 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 trauma of the first three Matrix movies, if that makes sense. I I, I don't know if I'm if I have the right runway to get into this yet, but but um maybe ex expand more on what you're asking me, maybe to to guide this? No, no, it's it's the idea that like when you think of the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Three actors come to mind. Oh, it it's Keanu, it Carrie yeah, I mean, Ann, and Lawrence Fishburne. And in the I fact mean, that they're okay, I, I would put Hugo I, Weaving before Lawrence Fishburne. I think because I love he's a he's a no, no, I'm thinking about the poster. I'm okay. thinking about like the like think of the movie poster. Gotcha. Hugo Weaving is not think about that very iconic The Matrix poster. Sure, sure. Technically, Joey Pants is on there too. Well, yeah, the first one. Yeah, you want to throw on on Cipher? Sure. Yeah. Exactly. But it's that notion. That like Lawrence Fishburne, and to this day, I would say outside of Keanu Reeves is still the most culturally prolific of the of all what, the Matrix what, actors, and minus a, Keanu. Didn't we get at that in our 
three discussions on the Matrix uh, original trilogy. Now I'm doing it just out of spite of myself. Um, <laughs> the OT. That, the OT. You know, Morpheus is sidelined to death in the he, last that, one and a half he movies. He, he is. No, no, I don't disagree with that, though. But, like, I wish, like, much like how the film is commenting on the idea of, like, nostalgia retreads, your Force Awakens, your Jurassic Worldification of cinema, mm-hmm. um, I would have liked the idea of, like, oh, recap, like, that element of, like, just commenting on the fact that, like, he doesn't look like Lawrence Fishburne, considering that they are using Lawrence Fishburne footage from those first three films in this. Sure. I wish there was so, much like how this film comments on a lot of things. Like again, seek probably says my favorite line of dialogue in the entire film where he goes, why use old code to make something new? Oh, like that I is literally something that. <laughs> that is something that like, I am going like, I guaranteeing on the star Wars podcast. I am going to say that. That is good. And also, that's like one of the first 10 lines of dialogue yes. in the movie. And it's, well, it's used in the trailer. It's, it's literally used, I think, in every single piece of marketing, like major piece of marketing for this film. Sure. Why use something, why use old code to make something new? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, again, I wish they would have commented on that. Like the idea of, like, again, like where we get Yahya Abdul Mateen, like in his dialogue, like he's so, like, just pointing out the fact that this is an intentional regurgitation. I wish there was a moment, even if it was like 15 seconds long, where we highlight the fact that like he's like he's physically different than than um than Lawrence Fishburne because ah. there is but this this also brings up an interesting thing too I I want to bring up and this has to do with the production of the film is that like clearly Lana wanted an actor to portray this character that and this is why I keep saying Yaya the character that Yaya Dolmatin portrays because I don't want to give it the character of Smith. Morpheus. I that's how he's credited, but I just that's very convoluted considering there is a Smith in the film. Yes. Okay. Can, so, can I? Can I? I'm sorry to. Inter- I want to hear what you have to say, but can I just interject? I thought of Yahya Abdul Mateen as Morpheus slash Smith slash combination, whatever the hell you want to think of him. Um, do you remember those those like things? Those like metal pins you could push your face into, and it would like you're make, you're. Oh my god! That, that, I, I don't know what everybody they're called. on the goddamn internet's made this joke. Well. I've been ignoring people on the internet because they're not well, woke like I am. <laughs> you're no different. You're I don't know what they're called. They're called like Newton pins or something like that. But that's what he is to me. You know. I want you to know that in the blank check discussion, I knew the red letter media. Oh fuck them! They fuck them. all bring up this point. Like, okay, it's, well, because because it, it's inevitable. It's what everybody knows. Everybody's been to a fucking children's museum where you can put put your face and your hands into a bunch of pins and it makes the thing. Can I ask you quickly, Zach? I I want to take a guess because I have not listened to anybody else's thoughts major like youtube or podcasting wise about this of course i've um listened to the uh the terrible people who hate transgenderism on the internet about this movie <laughs> yes, yes um, i am firmly can aware. i take a guess blank check loved this movie and red letter media loved this movie because it sucks blank check loved it because it's a matrix movie i my guess is red letter movie red letter media loved it because it sucks am i right or am i wrong that's my guess um okay so th- this is so this is what happens okay Yes, blank check is like okay. David was over the moon about this, well, but in a very nuanced, very nuanced way. He, da- he, I don't he think I don't think David Sims has had a moment in the last twenty years without a movie studio's dick in his mouth. To be fair, 
that's not true. He sucks. That's not true. Okay, no, no that's fair. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One. He's the one who agreed with me that Shrek is stupid. I have to agree <laughs> with that. We talked about him on the Shrek episode. I'm sorry. David, I'm sorry. You you took a breath and had a real thought and said Shrek was bad. Every other moment, you've been sucking the dick of, of movies. No, I don't. I don't agree with that. He's he's okay. more nuanced. Um, Griffin Griffin was more Griffin basically kind of like it was more favorable than what how he did going into like the Matrix films like when they discussed that five years ago. Oh, which I, would, I know I talked to on those episodes I listened to and he hated those. Yeah, yeah, yeah he didn't hate them, but like he come like he's much more friendlier in this film, but he does he's not over the moon about it. Um, Red Letter Media does a very unique thing where they begin the episode and they're just like, yeah, the, like like the stupid internet is like automatically comparing this to the Last Jedi. And like, as soon as you see that comparison, you know, like what? half the people are gonna love this movie for the wrong reasons, and the other half are gonna hate Wait, this movie for all the wrong reasons. Been, I haven't heard. Have people been doing that? I didn't hear any yeah. of that comparison. I yeah. guess I'm not in the Star Wars community. I'm in. See, this is my problem. I'm the. I'm in the fucking communities that hate anybody that thinks other than like a Republican. Which I don't know how <laughs> I don't. I don't know how I got myself into this predicament. I'm I'm dealing with people who go Lana Wachowski has blue hair. This movie's gonna suck. Um, so okay, oh, Zach. You, thank as, you for as enlightening a, me as, for these. Things. As a as a admitted socio political conservative, I have no <laughs> idea what world you're in because even I haven't seen that. So like, I don't know what <laughs> rabbit hole. That you've fallen down, but like you are in a space that I am not in right now. So uh I don't know. Do, Rob, do you need to create a modal of me so I can come rescue you? Like Probably. I'm just putting that out there. As Zach, if I ever made you in a modal, you would have blue hair. Just want to let you know. That. <laughs> and a lightsaber. And a lightsaber. You um, would have you would have would... blue hair, but your hair would be exactly styled like McGruver. <laughs> I'm saying that right now. <laughs> that's that's my ideal vision of Zach and my modal. Blue haired McGruver. <laughs> And coming and saving me <laughs> and a piece of celery out my butt oh you um, made the joke before i get to it <laughs> <laughs> um no but like red letter media was pretty like like i would say they 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 it's not that like they i wouldn't say it gave it positive or negative review oh okay. their okay. big thing was that like this is a very audacious film that we probably shouldn't judge in the heat of the moment. That was kind of their overall thing. They're like, this movie does a lot of things that like are right up our alley, but there are also some elements that are frustrating. Um, no, they, I was shocked at how like favorable they were to this. Oh, wow. Okay. I think okay. they both recommended it. They're like, but they're like, they kind of almost say like our audience is going to hate it. They don't say it explicitly, but they're like, yeah, like, if you didn't like the second and third one, there's really nothing here for you. It's just going to make you angrier. Um, but like, if you like the idea of like a filmmaker kind of like, oh God, turning the tables on like the studio system and like, like if you can sit there yeah. and read the subtext, you'll appreciate it. I, I think I mentioned that when we did our recording about this inside the Matrix, where I was looking at like the the uh, Red Letter Media, you know, subreddit and stuff before they released their review, and everybody was basically like, "This movie's garbage. They're gonna hate it. This is garbage. Fuck these people. Blue hair's bad. I can't believe people with blue <laughs> hair are fucking. I can't. I hate transgenderism. You know, maybe this is the point to put in that part of it. I like to imagine like all these people who hate blue hair had some really horrible experience watching the Simpsons in the nineties. <laughs> 
could just set them on this very dark path for the rest of their life. Oh my life. god, that there, there's somewhere in there. There's a great joke where it's like, "Does Marge Simpson have a dick?" And it's like, "What the fuck are you talking about? Her hair's blue." <laughs> Doesn't that mean she's trans? And it's like, what the hell are you talking about? Her whole, the whole Bouvier family has blue hair. Oh my god! You gonna get angry about yellow skin now? Speaking of blue hair, did I ever? I don't think I've ever told you. I remember once, like this was like back in like 2017, maybe 18. I remember seeing an article with the title like. If, if you ever see a woman with blue hair, automatically assume they're a bad person. Yes, yes, you've told me about that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, I think I read the first paragraph, and I'm just like, this is, like, literally insane to assume this much off of an individual because they have blue hair. Absolutely. Like, li- like, like there's, there's too much of an assumption here. Like, you are basically just inserting some, a backstory because somebody has a blue hair. Yes, yes, it drives me fucking crazy. All blue, blue hair tells you about individual is that they're they're just a little eccentric. That's all it tells you. Thank you, Zach. And, and please, at most I, that's I, I want that. our everybody to who's listening to this know when we say blue hair, we are actually using this as a placeholder for any color fucking hair. Like fucking, I hate it. I hate this shit. Fucking hate. God damn it. I want it on the record <laughs> that Cinematis is a advocate for blue hair. Like, if you have blue hair, like, we want you in the restaurant. We might even cut you a coupon. Jesus Maybe Christ, we'll I'm going like... to go out a little further. Cinematis is an advocate for expressing yourself. Jesus Christ, do it. <laughs> all right, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We are running, we are running a legitimate establishment over here. We don't want too far. We don't want to go too far in that regard. <laughs> Let's keep it the blue hair for right now, Robin. Depending on how the waters turn for okay, that, then okay, we'll, okay. we can t- we can maybe branch out into green hair. <laughs> oh, I love me some green. hair. You know what I love? Gray hair. I love me some gray hair. I I, I want Rob to know that right now I literally <laughs> had the most puzzled look on my face for like a half a love second. Love me some gray hair. Like, I love me some gray hair, man. Come on. Like 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 legitimately. Okay, okay. My, when you say gray hair, do you mean like dyed gray hair or somebody who's lost the color to their hair? Oh, both. I love me some old. <laughs> I love me some old men with some gray hair, and I I also kind of like young women who dyed their hair gray. It's a good look. It's a good look. Express yeah, yourself, did, everybody. Express I yourself. I did. I, I involuntarily did the look okay, again. Okay, maybe so, Zach's uh, not with me, but express yourself, people. Express put yourself. It, put it in the notes for the four-year extravaganza. <laughs> we need we need to do some deep diving on this gray hair thing. This is very peculiar. I, I'm concerned. I feel like I wanted to jump right in to the Matrix Resurrections, but not about the movie yet. I want to talk about the discourse surrounding this movie first, Zach. May I? Rob, th- this episode is yours. D- do not let me take that away from you. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody bust out your syllabus and your highlighter. <laughs> so, oh man. So I, I, I kind of want to start off with this because I know I said in our first three Matrix episodes, specifically in the third one, that I wanted those three episodes to be a complete summary of the Matrix franchise. In, in, a, in a very great sense, I wanted those episodes to be timeless. That no matter when anybody listens to them, if they know what the Matrix movies are, they can gain something from them. They can learn about the Animatrix, the video games, the uh, the Matrix Online, that type of thing. And I really tried to stay away from, you know, the, the discourse surrounding those movies. I know we talked about it a little bit, don't get me wrong, of course, but I feel like I have been being, I have been bombarded by discourse around the Matrix Resurrections before and after it came out. And we're recording this about a week after it came out, um, six days to be exact, and I I have been bombarded with things that have made me so, not angry, but annoyed around this movie, both prior to and after its release. 
I, I want to get into some of this, Zach. And, and so please, Zach, if you'll, if you'll indulge me for a minute, there's some stuff here that I think is going to be, um, you know, some things that we can, we can comment on as, you know, critiquers of movies and craft and things like that. I think there's also some things that just relate to internet discourse that are problematic as a whole. I want to start from what I was reading about this movie before it came out, but when we had trailers. Prior to this movie's release, I was certainly annoyed by the constant barrage of internet people, internet posts, whatever you want to call them, saying, of course it's going to suck. You know, I'd see those posts where people would like post something like The Matrix 4, I hope it's good, and then the comments would be thousands of people going, are you fucking stupid? It's going to suck. And of course it's not going to be good. And I have no problem with this. I have no problem inherently with the idea of somebody stating their expectations for a film. I think I said it back in our um, uh, John, was it John Watts Spider-Man? The Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. I was like, I don't think the new one's going to be good. I have no problem if you want to state your expectations for a movie. None at all. The problem I have is when it starts to come from a place of absolute hate and misinformation. So, Zach, yes, I'm going here right at the start. I cannot explain to you how many times I saw on the internet people post something, well, of course The Matrix Resurrections is going to be bad. It's being made by mentally challenged people. And when they say mentally challenged, they mean transgender. This is the case. This is the case for any of the communities who seem to have some form of transphobia. The overwhelming consensus was, it's going to be woke bullshit. It's made by somebody with blue hair. How could it be good? I want to start this way because this gets at something I've been saying forever. Separate the art from the artist. It's one of my mantras. It's the thing that's gotten me in trouble because I want to separate the glory of I believe I can fly from the monstrosity that is R. Kelly. This is the other side of the coin, though. I am so bothered by people who take their own personal beliefs, and which you can have. Of course, if you have problems with transgender people, as long as you're not murdering them or anything, you can have those beliefs. That's how free form I feel about this. But you cannot imbue what you think about a movie just because you know about their creators. You have to separate the art from the artist. Zach, I wanted to ask you, did you see things like this on the internet prior to this movie's release? I'm specifically talking about prior right now. Um, a lot of the lambasting over the wokeness, of course. Um, wokeness, that, that yes, was, yes. That, that was, like, again, without seeing the movie, just kind of hitting it with that. Um, I did not see any specific instances of the fact that there was some level of transphobia. I didn't witness that. What I saw was a lot, and again, Rob's not going to be surprised by me seeing this, was a lot of another Last Jedi, quote-unquote. That that Ooh, rhetoric, like, oh, this is going to be another movie that they're going to ruin what we love. That's an interesting point right there. Okay, yeah, I, I did not see that because I don't go into the um, communities that talk about Star Wars in any good way either. But I'm glad you said that, you know, the woke, the woke bullshit, like I mentioned. Um, personally, I think it is gross, grossly just wrong to completely write off an artistic creation because of your own beliefs about its creator. I'm glad you actually bring up The Last Jedi, because in that same vein, I think it was 
was it might have been our good friend Chris Porteous who's been on this podcast before. It might have been someone else. I don't remember. But I remember somebody on the Knights of Vader Facebook group telling the story that they went and saw Knives Out and they heard people in the theater as the movie ended say, that was pretty good. But then someone else said, well, that was directed by the guy who directed The Last Jedi. And the same people who just said, well, that was pretty good went, oh, well, I guess I don't like it then. Do you remember that story? Am I misremembering that? Was that Knights of Vader or was that something else? I I don't know. It could be Knights of Vader. That might have also been my own personal viewing because, you know, I I remember after seeing Knives Out, I was like, look, isn't it cool to see somebody just make a story and not have studio interference? That's a story for another day or for a year ago or two years ago, however long that was. But I think it is so wrong to completely write off an artistic creation because of your knowledge about the creators. Just as it is completely wrong to imbue an artistic meaning onto a movie because of your knowledge about the creator. Go back and listen to our Nightmare on Elm Street 2 episode. I think this is in the same boat. All the people who go, well, Lana and Lily Wachowski, they were, they, they're transgender. They're mentally challenged. They're, they have blue hair. They're the bane of the earth. We need to kill them and all their creations. That is literally what I was seeing on the internet around this movie. And that bothers the shit out of me. It is not about what you think about transgenderism. It's what you think about this product. Am I making sense here, Zach? No, you are. Um, like again, yes, you're you're absolutely right in separating the art from the artist. I I haven't seen any of that specifically. I've seen a lot of people dancing on this film's grave. Or maybe <laughs> sure. not grave, but kind of dancing on its ICU bed. Um, <laughs> th- that's what I've seen more of than anything Dancing else. on its um, anomalium pod, shall we? <laughs> yes, it's probably the more apt uh, analogy there. No, but I mean, I, I saw, I literally saw someone, I, I'm not going to credit this person because I, I don't know who they are, they deserve no credit, but I literally read this on one of the more right-leaning meme websites. Yes, I went down meme websites to, to get this research, Zach, from funnyjunk.com. Somebody had the comment, as soon as I saw the trailer for The Matrix Resurrections and saw someone with blue hair, I turned it off and knew this was going to be the worst movie ever. What the fuck does that mean? What does that mean, Zach? Can you expand that? Explain you that have, to me? You've never heard the... Okay, this is... A, I, in all honesty, folks, I didn't anticipate him to go this heavy into this, like, immediately. Oh, I'm going... Um, you haven't is... seen... Have, you've never seen the rhetoric about, like, the more, like... Oh, God, fantastical a woman's hair is dyed, the more, like, disconnected from reality they are? No, I definitely have, and you I never, definitely have uh, seen the, the memes of, you know, when it's like, you know, women have, have colorful hair to fend off predators and stuff like... All, I've seen... I've seen all of it, unfortunately. <laughs> like I said, I know, obviously, but I think a lot of this comes down to, I don't think we really touched upon it a lot in the uh, three Matrix discussions. No, because like, I wanted to keep that timeless. Yes. Well, yeah, but I think a lot of a lot of people in right-wing culture have, what would you even want to call it, assimilated, keeping it with maybe the Agent Smith uh, theme. <laughs> sure. Matrix rhetoric, because of the whole term red-pilling, they saw yes. this as a film that was there to enlighten people, and the fact that I, I think, oh god, the film itself doesn't do this, but I think they see this as, oh god, what do you even call it, progressive culture taking back what they think they possessed? Sure, sure. That that's my uh, two cent analysis. I think that you're getting at what we said in our first Matrix episode that many people took the 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 long lasting legacy of the first Matrix movie was taken um, incorrectly from what the intention of the film was. I know a, we bri- a bridge version yeah. of the ten hours of conversation we did. Nobody <laughs> understood the Matrix franchise yes, the way that yes. the intenders created it to. 
Yes. If, 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 the, if the Matrix franchise hit the world uh, as it should have, as I, I think it should have, people would actually know what the word simulacrum means. But I, I think only me and five other people, Zach now included, know what that word means. Um, but okay, I th- this bothered the shit out of me, and I want to come back to that, because prior to this movie coming out, I saw a lot of this, and I wrote it off as, you know, hatred-fueled nonsense. And whether it be hatred for whether it be transphobia, whether it be just a dislike of the Wachowskis post the first Matrix movie, which I would imagine a lot of the people spewing this stuff on the internet think is their first movie, and they've never seen Bound, um, that 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 will come up later after when I get to the discourse after this movie's release. But there's some other stuff I wanted to talk about, which I saw prior to this coming out, and it is something we've talked about before, Zach, that bothers the hell out of me. And that is the cynical reaction culture we live in. And, of course, don't get any of us wrong. I think, Zach, you and I are steeped in this as well. We are very cynical people. We've said a lot of times on this podcast, movies suck, people suck, everything sucks, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> but one of the things that I started to see when when the trailers were coming out for this movie, when reactions to these trailers were coming out... It fell into the trap of something that I find so offensive. And we're all critics. We're all cynical critics here. Zach and I, uh, Red Letter Media, uh, a Blank Check, uh, YMS, um, a Moist Critical, just keep naming people who react to things on the internet. We're all cynical. That's the name of the game these days. But the one thing that I don't think you and I do, Zach which I try to actively not do, and whenever I realize I have done, I try to understand why I've done it and apologize for it, is reacting to something without all of the information. Just like, I know we never talked about this on mic, just like when Red Letter Media did their Picard, Star Trek Picard review, they did it like episode by episode, they just complained and complained and complained without getting the full story. And that breeds a level of hatred for where the story's going to go. If you don't like the first episode of a television show, and you start to really harp on why you don't like it, chances are you're not going to like the rest of it. There's a very specific reason why I sit through all of a TV show or all of a movie or all of a video game, whether or not I like it. Because I need to have the full experience to be able to give a full opinion on it. And I feel that that is a very important thing. I saw so many people online with the Matrix trailers doing the exact opposite, which bothers the absolute hell out of me. Specifically, when the first trailer for the new Matrix came out, the first full trailer, I should say, you get that moment in the trailer where Trinity is like phasing out into multiple bodies, where, you know, you can see basically Carrie Ann Moss in the center, and it looks like, you know, translucent versions of her are are just two of two versions are going out on either side. I watched a review, a reaction um, to this trailer where the reactor paused during this moment and said, oh, the other faces that come out of Carrie Ann Moss's are not Carrie Ann Moss's. And they went, look how bad that is. Like, they they fucked it up. They, They didn't, like, they used a stunt double. Like, they didn't fix that in post. And then even when the second trailer came out, they reviewed it or reacted to it again. It's not a review. It's a reaction. That's what Twitch is these days. And they saw that same exact shot because they used that shot in both trailers. And when this person reacted to that trailer, he saw the same thing where Carrie Ann Moss is in the middle and all four faces are different. And they went, look, they didn't even fix it. They didn't even realize that they fucked it up. I fundamentally do not understand the mindset of this reaction. These people presumably did not know what the movie was about. 
let alone what was going on in that shot in the context of the story. It baffles me that their reaction is to think it's a mistake rather than that they don't know something that's going to add to that story. Do you know what I'm saying, Zach? Well, I, it's disheartening, but I don't think it's anything novel or or was not be expected. No, no, that's I, no. I'm I'm with you. This is the culture we live in, where more people are ready to say, "Look how bad and stupid this is, and we need to shit on it," rather than, "Oh, what could this mean for the movie?" Oh, wait, with 100 percent. But that's the tribalism we live in now. Yes, yes, and it. Fucking, it drives me crazy. It's the people, I know I've said it to Ben, I don't think you're on the episode, but I hate when people, like, when you have an idea, when you, you in the royal common sense, you, you know, anybody, has an idea. If that idea gets met with, like, uh, you know, apprehension or resistance, it's like, why are you going to assume I'm doing it wrong? You know? It's like the thing of, like, saying it's like, oh, imagine, you know, before the scuba diving gear was invented. Somebody said, man, I want to invent a way for people to swim underwater for long periods of time. This is like the day today we live in the culture. Most of YouTube would go, well, that's stupid because people can't breathe underwater. And it's like, well, well, no, that, that's the point. We need to do something to fix this. It's not unfixable. It's like when you have an idea, why are you assuming I'm going to do it wrong? I this bothers the shit out of me. Uh, the, it, it drives me crazy when people are so, like you said, it's a great word to use, tribalistic in, and antagonistic against something, when really it should be, well, what does this mean? They don't want to think about it and grow from it. They'd rather just shoot it down because that's what gets views these days. Bothers the hell out of well, me. Well, I, 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 yes, I absolutely agree, but I don't think there's a a market for Matrix hate in the same way there's a market for like Brie Larson hate, contemporary Star Wars hate. Okay. Um, okay. I, I and like I said, I think this goes back to like weirdly enough what we discussed in the Jupiter Ascending episode, and in part and parcel with the Matrix episodes is that Warner Brothers did nothing to try to rehabilitate the image of this franchise. Sure, they did, sure. and I think they are complicit in this because they they and like I said, the movie. To be fair, the marketing for this film was very, uh, oh god, didn't hide anything. It didn't try to mislead people. But I think I think the people that are deriding this film, or even prematurely, like you said, I think are doing it again. It comes from that tribalism, as in they thinks the the. Ugh, Progressive culture, aka the media, whatever you want to call it, is trying to take something they love. And they sure. are weirdly trying to destroy this new thing so the thing that they love from the past can remain intact. Um it's like it's like almost like the antithetical version of like how like we, we were tearing down like civil war statues because it's offensive. It's like a weird form of that, and like we're we're not allowing any new statues to be built because somehow it will take away from these statues of yesteryear. It's like a weird, like, form of that, where, like, we can't appreciate anything new because it's going to take away from what came before. Um, it's, it's, it's that whole star. It's the weird Star Wars conundrum as I see it. Star Wars is a great example. I mean, I know you lived in that world a lot with The Last Jedi, and, and you being a, a Last Jedi defender, correct? Can, am I blowing up your spot there? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's safe to say that I'm a Last Jedi. I am a, I, I am a very peculiar Star Wars fan as to what I've latched onto and what have I, I have rejected. Sure, sure. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a great comparison. It just baffles me about that. It, it baffles me that, you know, 
Well, I guess in one in one sense it baffles me, in one sense it doesn't, because this kind of, before the movie came out, when we just had trailers, I kind of expected this, because of the universal hate from the, the sequels that we talked about, right? It was almost like a fait accompli for people to go like, oh, we're doing this again, right? Well, again, we talked, again, weirdly enough, like, when Rob came to New York, the trailer had just come out. Yes. And I, there think, was... I think we talk about it a little bit in our Jupiter Ascending episode. No, yeah, 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 it showed up a lot. Um, I think it might even show up in Candyman, I think, in that discussion a little bit. <laughs> it's that notion of uh, people just want to hate the second and third movies. Yep. Um, it, it, it went from a place of like, oh, I didn't like these movies or these movies left me unfulfilled at the time and didn't appreciate – and I couldn't appreciate them on reviewings in the last 18 years to it somehow devolved to – this need these movies need to be destroyed outside of the original. Everything yes. that's not the original needs to be destroyed. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's 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 this the same weird thing that. Go for it. Sorry, sorry. Go no, it's it. it's it's one of these things. That, like I honestly cannot think of another film franchise that has undergone something similar. I, I honestly can't. Where the only film, the first film, is the exclusively good one, and everything any anything else besides that first mm. film needs to be destroyed. Um, I, I really can't think of another example. My, my example, maybe not similar vein, but the thing that this makes me think of is that, um, people still to this day call it the Indiana Jones trilogy and refuse to believe that Crystal Skull exists. That's the other thing. I, I will push back on that because there is a minority that says Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is better than Temple of Doom. Okay. It's, it's less racist than Temple of Doom, right? But that's, like I guess no, I agree with you. That's probably the next closest thing. Um, yeah. Because yeah. Cause there is that weird thing with the, and I think weirdly enough, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Indiana Jones 5 is a, a Disney Plus exclusive because Disney doesn't want to deal with that. Because there's even hate brewing over that because there's like the Phoebe Waller bridge thing of like, there's yep. rumors that like she's supposed to take, I have no idea if this is true, but like there's the rumors that like Indiana Jones basically like erases himself from the timeline she takes over. I don't know, but I could see Indiana Jones 5 being another one of these film franchises that, like, Disney... Again, these studios don't... It's funny, Disney rehabilitated Star Wars, I think, oh God, misguidedly prior to The Force Awakens, but clearly it paid off sure. for them because all they did was stroke those original trilogy fans. Um, and, and now, finally, like a decade later, they're finally abandoning that, like, sect of the market because they, they are losing consumer buying power. And they realize those fans that that hate everything outside of those films are now, again, they're in their sixties now, and we all know in marketing mm-hmm. consumer terms that that is when again, corporations stop caring about you. Once you reach a certain age, yes. they just you've you refuse to broaden your mind. Mm-hmm. So there's no they can't sell anything you you haven't already made up your mind about. So they ignore you. Um, thank yes. God we, we're starting to finally reach that point with Star Wars, uh, oh God, 25 <laughs> years later. But no, this this is, like I said, overall, like I said, I, I've been kind of removed from the discourse about this film. Um, like okay. it, it has its fans. Uh, I've sent Rob a couple screenshots from people who, who like saw test screenings of this like in the summer. of uh, like This was always going to be a film that was going to get a rise at people for better or worse. The, the pro- like I said, I don't even think that the people who are really deriding this are the problem. I think, once again, it's the silent majority who have just consumed the narrative that two and three are bad movies, therefore I'm indifferent. I, I'm, yeah. They're, I think they're, weirdly enough, I think they're more of the problem than the the hate mob is. 
Okay, interesting. I, I'm glad you bring up the stuff that you sent me. Um, you texted me those those like screenshots of tweets or whatever, um, because that was really what got me going with like I really wanted to immerse myself in the discourse of this movie which I don't usually do for movies I don't usually like to do ever I don't like to dive into the internet um because the internet is a cesspool just period but but that's that's what I did and it's also a reason I should say um oh god this is a while ago but Zach and I were talking about it was like well do we do we do Matrix Resurrections first and then Jupiter Ascending or do we switch them or do we keep it Jupiter Ascending 200 and I was like Zach I need a lot of time to think about this new Matrix movie but after the movie. Can we transition to that? Are you ready? Was there anything else you had prior? Any other? After, after the movie? Are we talking about walking out of the theater? Or just, or? just discourse after the movie had been released. <laughs> we're, this is crazy context, This is crazy content. We're going to get to our theater-going experiences, and this is going to be a much more fun conversation later on because, spoiler alert, I fucking love this movie. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a much more fun conversation, but post this movie's release... Of course the reactions to this movie are grouped into their little bubbles on the internet. That's how it goes. Red Letter Media subreddit. Universal disdain. They call it laughably bad. It is, it is ridiculous how much hate it's gotten. Well, not ridiculous because it's expected, you know? Um, the Blank Check subreddit. Oh, they think it's a mess, but it's a masterpiece. They love it. Um, most of, you know, the Matrix subreddit hates it. Um, any, any group of meme sites that are very, very, you know, anti-trans transitioning they hate this movie and think it is just like destroying the the cultural mores of society and things like that now i want to go back to that again because yes once again after this movie came out you heard in the echo chambers that this movie is bad because it's made by mentally challenged people and when they say that on these sites they mean transgender people and one once this movie came out i started to see this thing where the people who felt this way I feel before the movie re was released, they started to just snowball into this. And they started to say things like, look at, look at me, wasn't I right? I knew this was going to be about transgenderism, wokeness, and stuff like that. And you know how I know that? Is because I watched the movie, and in the movie, they use the word trans. They use the word binary. And it's like, these people are so bothered by the fact of gender transitioning and the words that are used to describe that that they can no longer realize that those words have other meaning. Like, I swear to God, these people are so stupid that they would refuse a ticket on a transatlantic flight because they think it's too woke. Trans and binary don't specifically and inherently relate to transitioning and gender. Binary has a very specific definition. Trans, as it is, is a very de definitive uh, prefix for words. It drives me crazy. Like when Bugs uses the word, in the beginning of the movie, Bugs says something like, you know, when I was offered this choice, I thought it was ridiculous to be swallowing a binary representation of my life as a, as a human. Something like that. I'll put the clip in, because Bugs is great. Who are you? What do you have to do? I am Morpheus, and I have to find Neo.
call this a choice? Oh, honestly, when somebody offered me these things, I went off and binary conceptions of the world and said that there was no way I was following some symbolic reduction in my life. And the woman with the pills laughed because I was missing the point. What point? The choice is an illusion. You already know what you have to do. And I feel like these people heard the term binary, lost their shit, and were just like, this is movies trying to destroy my culture or whatever. It drives me crazy. I, I also, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, Zach, this story, but while I do not think my father is actively against transgender people, I remember one time when Kelly Marie Tran was being bullied on the internet post uh, Last Jedi. I'm glad you brought up Star Wars to lead me into this. My dad was asking me about it. Like, I was on the phone with him, and he was like, what's going on with this Star Wars thing? And I was like, oh, Kelly Marie Tran, like, a lot of people don't like her, and she got, like, bullied on the internet, and she, like, left Twitter and Instagram. And my dad was like, is it because she's, like, a trans person? And I was like, what? He's like, Kelly Marie Tran, that means she's trans, right? And I was like, no, Dad, no, that's her last fucking name. I feel that these people get so zoned into hearing words that they don't like in context that they don't like that they can no longer mean anything else. Like, Pluto, Pluto and its moon is a binary system. Is that anti-woke because it's not gender fluid? What the fuck are these people talking about? It makes me so fucking angry, Zach. Am I making sense, or am I just getting too overboard with my anger? This really drives Rob, me I crazy. Think you're, I think you're explaining internet, like, film discourse, and you're getting frustrated at the fact that this happens all the time, and <laughs> it's never going to end. No, that's, like, I know like, that's and, another like, problem I have. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. As a Star Wars fan, it's had to put up with this now for... Uh, I know. Four years now, I, I'm, uh, I'm I know the feeling all too well. Because when I was do making my notes for this for uh, this part of it, because I have my notes for the movie and I have my notes for the discourse, my notes for the discourse, I'm getting angry, and I was kind of thinking, like, I'm like, Zach, I get it. Like, the Matrix franchise is, is to me as Star Wars is to you. I'm now having to fight these people in discourse, kind of. <laughs> Rob's gonna start a Matrix podcast. <sighs> like, like coming coming on May twenty twenty two. You know what? I honestly read the comment once again. I'm not gonna give them credit because fuck them. They're fucking stupid. They there. I read a comment that said, you know, the the moment I realized that this was a trans allegory was when Morpheus met Neo in the bathroom of Deus Machina. You know, in the in the first act of the movie, and um, when Neo says no to the red pill. The Seek, Seek says, oh, the, do you know how hard it was to hack the mirror? And Morpheus puts his hand through the mirror and says, oh, no, still open. But as it starts to break down, one of the characters says, trans system failure. And this person said they used the phrase trans system failure. And that meant to me that this was about transitioning through gender. And I turned the movie off. And I was like, you are the fucking stupidest person on the goddamn planet if you can't think beyond your connotations of words. If you can't hear something and give a moment to think about what it means to the person that said it to you, you are a problem. You are a wall, you are a firewall, to use the terminology of computers in the Matrix, you are a firewall to the progression of your own brain, and it drives me fucking crazy. And all this being said, this does not reflect my opinions on transgenderism or not. It reflects my opinions on not giving art a chance. And that bothers the shit out of me. I'm very angry about this movie, Zach. About the discourse around it. Not this movie. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> well, I think I think there's there's some interesting things to this movie that are kind of I, I would hope you've thought about about them on this level. But no, like I said, there, there's a lot. There's a lot about everything in this movie. Like I said, it's 
I, I don't really have a stake in the uh, discourse because internet discourse is, like I said, it's hopefully people who love this movie pick up the slack. I think, weirdly enough, that's one of the themes of this movie. On the multitude of themes of this movie, um, I think that is one of them. Sure. But we will get to that yes, in due time. Yes, we will get to that. We will get to that. I, um, I do want to also say at this point, um, before I get into this last little bit of discourse that I have, um, that, uh, well, maybe third to last, the last two points will guide us into the actual movie, Zach, I swear. Um, after this movie came out, I once again saw something being posted a lot that, you know, I didn't really want to dive into in those first three episodes, but we did a little. I saw the same thing being posted over and over. People saying... Well, of course this movie's going to suck. And don't you remember, the directors came out, Lily and Lana Wachowski came out and said that the original movie was an allegory for gender transitioning. And every time I saw this, whether it be back, you know, before this movie came out a few weeks, after this movie came out, even back when we were doing our Matrix movies, when I was rewatching the first one and doing my notes for that episode, I saw that and I was like, I don't think that's true. Where did they get that? And I even talked about that a little bit in our first Matrix episode where I read the quote from, I believe, Lana Wachowski. I don't have my notes pulled up. It, uh, if, I, if I'm misremembering that, I'm sorry. Uh, but she said, I'm glad that these works are being reevaluated in that way after our transitioning because that's means, that makes art not static. And I love that idea. So after I started seeing the the prevalence of this post again and again and again, I kept hearing, well, the Wachowski said it's all about transitioning. It's, that's what they say. It's all about transitioning. It's all about transitioning. I went down the rabbit hole of, like, where are people getting this? And you can actually find many, many articles that cite one specific quote from Lily Wachowski saying, I'm glad that it has gotten out that it was the original intention. And the articles all say that this is in relation to the original Matrix being a trans allegory. And when I say trans in this sense, I mean transitioning through gender. Because guess what, everybody? Trans has many different meanings. So what I, what I found with this being stated in so many articles, it actually took me a while to find out, find any article where this was actually referenced. Like, I... I Saw people citing this quote, but I could not find where it was from. It took me so much time. It turns out that it's from an interview with Netflix Film Club after they were, I think, finishing up on some season of Sense8 or something like that. And the response, or uh, sorry, the question that was asked to Lily Wachowski that gave her this response was, what do you think of fans discussing the Matrix as a trans allegory? And her response was, I'm glad that it has gotten out that it was the original intention. I don't know if that exactly means that the meaning of the first movie was a trans allegory. I think what she's saying is, I'm glad people are now talking about it in that way. The other thing I want to mention is that this interview with the Netflix Film Club is not structured like a regular interview. It is all audio from Lily Wachowski, and the questions are presented as text. So I don't think this is something to go off of in complete earnesty of saying oh this is what the matrix was about it's about gender transitioning i think there's some nuance there and with how reclusive the wachowskis are with how reclusive they are with just giving info about their personal lives and things like that i mean i don't even know if we talked about it 
when they transitioned, the only reason, like, Lana came out and transitioned was because they were going to break the story and she had to get out ahead of it. Like, the news was about to report it before she told people that she was transitioning. And that's fucking terrible. Anyway, Zach, yes, I know, we've been going on a very, very long time about the discourse of this movie, but it makes me very angry and I care a lot about these movies, Zach. Is there anything you'd like to say about the discourse or... Would you like to get into some talk about the I would, Matrix I would Resurrections? Like to talk, I would like to talk about the Matrix Resurrections okay, and Matrix Zach, Resurrections I... discussion, please. God damn it, Rob. Um, weren't you explain – okay, you, explain more Matrix lore to me. Explain – Explain Matrix lore, uh, yes. or, or your interpretation of yes. Matrix lore. So, so I think I, I mentioned already that um, you know this um, this incarnation of Morpheus is unrelated to the one that we know um, at the end of the MMO or his 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 end of the MMO. But I kind of like the idea that Neo creates in maybe his subconscious, if that's the right way to put it, his Matrix brain, Thomas Anderson, I should say, rather than Neo, creates this version of the people that freed him from the Matrix in his modal. Because him being freed from the Matrix is physically due to Morpheus, but I think mentally due to Smith. The other 99% of the anomaly is Smith. And that is what drives Neo, if that makes some sense. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> that's not... No, no it, make, no, it makes sense. It's just... Okay. Well, I, I also that was think a very that, technical way of answering I, I also think that when I... When that came up in the movie, when I first watched it, second watched it, third watched it, fourth watched it, fifth watched it, sixth watched it, seventh watched it, all that stuff, I, I did get some, you know uncertainty about that because we do get that in terms of dialogue in the movie but then that leads us to have to implicitly or sorry explicitly reconcile the fact that smith still exists in this new matrix which he has to and maybe that leads us into talking about the new smith jonathan groff which is something i really wanted to talk about is are we ready for that Okay, because I have just as many questions about his iteration of the character as I do. <laughs> maybe Yaya maybe to finish up uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, um, I, I really, really love, just on a, a filmmaking perspective I wanted to hit on, I love his portrayal of this character. I love the fact that he realizes that he is a created thing. I love the lines of dialogue where he's like, you know, you put me in a modal to bang my head against the wall, like in that bathroom scene, he's like, angry at neo almost but he knows what he has to do he knows why he's created i also love the fact that he is wearing the brightest colored suits in existence i love the fact that this program this created you know artificiality when he gets some form of sentience i'm doing air quotes whatever that means for program sentience that he just chooses to be the most flamboyant and ecstatic that he can be. Like, I love that thing when Neo comes out of the Matrix and he has to be jacked into, like, the, uh, the, the construct but before he can really come into the real world again because he's been in the Anomalium for so long that he meets with Morpheus, Yahya Abdul-Mateen. And Yahya Abdul-Mateen just has, like, a great chair, a great suit, a martini, a bar, that type of stuff. That's so much fun because I want this character to thrive, and I feel like... Like they're letting him thrive. Whereas we know Morpheus in the in the 
God damn it, I'm doing it again. Original trilogy. He's so reserved. He's the one who's like, I need to be minimalistic and working towards the prophecy. He never gets to really feel himself. And we get that in the second and third movie. He had to lose Niobe because of his beliefs in the one and the prophecy and the oracle and stuff like that. I love that our new iteration of Morpheus gets to just be as bombastic as possible. You know what I'm saying? Well, sure. Again, it's not the performance that bothers me. Well, I think it's, and this is where it comes into like the Smith, like casting of Jonathan Groff and Lawrence Fishburne's exclusion, but still using footage of him, which means they'd have to go to him and get his approval for. Yes. Is that like the story behind Thank the you, Crispin did. Glover, had to say that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed, Crispin Glover. I will Glover. never not reference that. <laughs> that good old Back to the Future part two history. Um, no, it's the notion that like they wanted Hugo Weaving to come back for this film, but there was a scheduling conflict. Yes, yes. That is, that is everything I've heard. And that's, yeah, that's that's the accepted story. I hate so my... the people online that say they did not ask him to return. Go fuck yourself. Hugo <laughs> Weaving has gone on record saying he did not return because he is in Australian theater. <laughs> but no, but it's that notion of that, like, clearly they like the intent on Lana's part was to have Hugo Weaving come back. Of course. If that was the case why couldn't you do that? Like, if you can sit there, have Hugo Weaving come back, why, like, this is the question. What do you think happened first? Hugo Weaving's unavailability, so they started tweaking the story to have different actors play these roles? Or was, you think, they like Lana mm. and whoever other creative forces at her side decided they did not want Lawrence Fishburne in it? So this is tough, and I'm you're asking the real questions to me right now, Zach. This This is the thing. I totally get that they would want Hugo Weaving to come back as Smith because Smith and Neo, or Hugo Weaving and Keanu Reeves as Smith and Neo respectively are so intrinsically connected. Like I've been saying, and I'm going to keep saying, Smith is the 99% of the anomaly, anomaly, uh, Neo is the 1%. They are intrinsically tied. I get why if you need Smith back, which you do, which you fucking do, like I said in our Reloaded episode, all those fucking idiots that were like, no, they can't come back. They're intrinsically tied together in this story. If you can't get him, fine. You recast him, you rewrite this role to say that the anomalium, this new Matrix, changes the outward perception of characters. We'll get into that more, I'm sure. Uh, like I already said, guess what? I love this movie. I unabashedly love it. I've seen it four times now. Um, maybe not each time was fully paying attention to it, but just having it on was very comforting. And I think this is a, a pretty neat thing. Before we did this recording, Zach and I did not say to each other what we thought about this movie. I think he was going to knew I was going to love it. But Zach, I, now I'm really eager to hear. What do you think? What's your thoughts on Matrix 4? Well, actually, I want to talk about the discourse around uh, cinema culture in general, the Matrix movies. Now, I want to do my take on Rob's take. Let's do it on the internet's take. The only way we're going to of the Matrix only way we're going to beat the Raimi episode is if we do this. <laughs> God, Rob. God. Um, no. So, like, okay, like any good cinematis episode, it should begin with context, not internet context. Um, I, I was, I was very, very on the hype train for this, like. Oh, God, in the weeks before Spider-Man. Um, not that I stopped caring about Spider-Man, but I was just kind of like, like, I want Matrix, I want Matrix. Everybody was kind of talking about, like, Spider-Man. I'm like, I don't want, like, I, I, I want to see Spider-Man, but, like, I, Matrix. 
um, oh, bought, yeah. bought a Matrix Resurrections poster. Yes. Oh, that's um, right. You sent me the picture at, of them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I had. I took out my. I broke out the Revolutions poster, which hasn't been hung up in over a decade. Um, the DVD video release poster, mind you. Um, Great poster. So no. Great poster. Yes. Yeah. And and even like in front of every movie I saw, like oh god, in the month prior to this, like it had that first trailer, which in the last oh god three and a half months might become what might have become one of my favorite movie trailers of all time, um, with the Jefferson Starship song. Uh, I, I I really ate this up. It's Jefferson Starship, right? Well, I mean, they started as Jefferson Airplane. They later became Jefferson Starship. Um, okay. a great great fact, which I wish more people knew, is that the reason that song is used in the trailer in the movie is not only because of the Alice in Wonderland references, is because Jefferson Airplane was originally formed as a house band. The members did not know each other. They were recruited and put together to play music every night for a club in the 80s called The Matrix in San Francisco. That is that's what exactly, and nobody fucking wants to read about that. Everybody wants to go. Oh, they're using the Alice in Wonderland song. That's so cliche. No, you fucking moron. Fuck. Okay, continue, Zach. I'm sorry. Oh my god. Very angry. I'm Um, very angry about everybody in the world except this movie. You know, so funny. Like, like you have you have like alcoholic Rob Mess, and then you have this new form of like uh, Rob Mess (laughs) anger. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not used to this. I'm kind of thrown off balance with all this. I can handle alcoholic Rob. I don't like him, but I can handle him. Um, no. So like, it's, it. so like I, like in front, I, even at one point, like after, uh, Rachel and I saw house of Gucci there, like, as we were leaving another theater had the matrix trailer playing in front of it. Nice. And I literally did an inception where I like, walked into the theater and watched the trailer, then walked out. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I adored that trailer. Like I'm so even in front of like Spider-Man, like it played. And I'm just like, okay, I'm good. I'm like, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> so you um, meet Joe Black so type th- of thing? Pretty much. Nice. Um, so, no. So, like, basically, I saw... I wanted to see Matrix Re- Resurrection. See, I'm doing it the other way now. I'm going to call this Revolutions. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to see this in Dolby. And supposedly it was released in Dolby. I could not find it anywhere. Um, Speederman took all those screenings. But I did see it opening night in IMAX. I wanted to see it... Tuesday night, like in a conventional theater, because I really wanted to kind of like soak this movie in on multiple viewings. For some reason, it didn't play like the day before because it did debut on a Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Um, And then so so I wanted to see it Tuesday night, couldn't see it. So what I did was I that Wednesday morning for work, I had to be at work at 5 a.m., so I deliberately woke up at 2, got everything I needed done in the morning. So I spent from 3 a.m. to like 4.10 watching the first like hour and 10 minutes of the movie. And I actually like left off at the exact moment where I guess spoilers. I would oh, imagine we're breaking the spoiler wall. Oh, this is going to be okay. full of spoilers. If you're, still listen- if you're still listening after the first 45 minutes of this podcast, I guess you don't care about spoilers. Uh, so I-, I-, I left off at the point where Neo is red pilled and he comes out of the matrix okay and i'm like okay perfect place to leave off so immediately before, once i got out work, before the uh, morpheus fight like when he just gets red yeah yeah, okay, yeah. before okay. before morpheus, so, the bu- yeah. so you saw the bullet um, train fight and him come out of his pod yeah yeah, gotcha. yeah all that basically as soon as like right before he gets he escapes the machine city or the pod like pretty much like like the moment he kind of like pulls the thing out of his mouth and he sees trinity like in the pod sure, across from sure him. yeah that's why, and I'm like, okay, oh, so you, this is you where got I'm going to leave off. The best, you got to hear the best line in the movie when Seek says, thinks perspective, the closer you are, the bigger it gets. I fucking love that line. <laughs> 
Yes. Um, not not my favorite part of the movie, but we'll get to that. Um, so, like, okay, so I left off at that, went to work, and then as soon as I got out of work, went straight to Danbury, saw it, in, and this is the fun thing about the theater-going experience. This has never happened before. Um, quite the unique experience. Like, got there just in the nick of time. It was, a th- it was the earliest showing, got in. Um, as we walk in, the Matrix Resurrections trailer, the White Rabbit song trailer, is playing in front of the movie. And I'm just like, I'm nice. really like ripping my shirt off being like, let's do this. Let's do it. Like, I'm losing my yeah, mind. Matrixception, there, yeah. That was, that was the only trailer that played in front of it. What? Was the Matrix. I'm like, what? I literally sat there because I knew how meta this film was. Keep in mind, I already seen the first 70 minutes. Yeah. How meta is it to see the trailer for the movie in front of it? And that's the only trailer. Has never happened. That's pretty awesome. Never happened to me. In my 20 plus years of going to movies, that has never happened where the movie... Like, I've been to movies where the movie uh, preview plays in front of the movie. Never seen that happen where that was the sole trailer. I'm like, okay, let's do this. So, uh, theater... Like I said, we'll get into specific moments the theater reacted to. Really only reacted to one very specific moment in the film. Um, so you you did say you went to Danbury. IMAX. You saw it in IMAX. Yes. I'm assuming. Saw it in yes, IMAX. As did I. Yes, um, yes. So so like I said, and then uh, oh god, over the last week I've uh, kind of put it like much like Rob, I've put it on as background noise two or three times. Um, Rob and I keep fighting with each other, I guess, over HBO Max because we keep like changing where the other one left off. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, I did notice that. Yeah, yeah. Point, we're, we're, we're I went back to it and I was like, other. wait. I was like, why would I have stopped it here, you know? But I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, so basically what happened was, like, uh, okay, my thoughts on the film, because, again, Rob made it very loud and clear, like, within, like, t- oh, God, 24 hours of watching it. He's like, Zach, I've watched it three times. It's incredible. Yes. Um, I've kept my powder yes. dry. Um, I-, I would, okay, I, I thought long and hard. I do want to set the stage a little bit. I, if everybody remembers, you know, it might have been a while for us and Zach, but from uh, our our listeners, you know, only, you know, four weeks ago we started the Matrix movies. Zach's the one who's had the issues with the movies, which is why I'm so excited to hear what you think about it, Zach. You know, I'm the I'm the unabashed fan of these. You're the one who has all these the little more, issues the more with, you know, characters. Ish little issues. Characters. I mean, I, I'm the one with the more nuanced opinion. <laughs> You're the one who brought up J.J. Abrams in comparison to some of these movies. Oh, yeah. So I am, the first movie is J.J. Abrams. I think me, or me Abrams took and from our audience is so excited, are so excited to hear what you have to say about this movie. Well, okay. Please, I've, I'm I've thought very, very hard about this movie. Very hard. This is probably my most concise way of giving my thoughts on this. Thematically, relative to what the filmmaker is trying to say... It's a magnum opus because I I think it says everything that Lana wants to say about almost every facet of society that the movie decides to tackle. Um, Thematic magnum opus, I would call it. Um, I really think as when it comes to what the filmmaker's intent is, it's the ultimate like knock it out of the park. Um, This feels unabashedly the product of an individual, an auteur. And in the studio system... That is nothing short of miraculous. Um, on that level, I think this movie's unparalleled. It will go down forever as that. Um, this is a film that will never be forgotten. I am so excited to hear what you think the themes of this movie are. But before we get to that, I feel a big old butt coming from you. Oh, yes. There is a big old butt. <laughs> okay, um, yes. I, I could feel but, it. It was but, in the air. It was in the code, I should say. Yes. 
Um, but it is a hundred percent. I'm gonna. This is gonna be a backhanded compliment. Consistent with the previous films, as in, this is a movie <laughs> that does not know how to explain itself properly. Um, that's where, oh, like, yes. as much as Rob is is mad at the internet dogpiling. The internet is dogpiling for all the wrong reasons. It's like, we're, yes. we're getting... I, I think... Again, this is not a movie for everyone. It's not. It is not a movie for everyone. Um, like, it, and it was never going to be. Uh, yes, you are right. Um, it, it would be unwise to suspect anything else from the directors of uh, uh, Jupiter Ascending, Speed Racer... <laughs> the Matrix yeah, exactly. Revolutions. Yeah. Uh, with with the, it's not like you know. This is the follow up to the Matrix. This is the follow up to the Matrix plus a downward spiral in critical consensus of a career of directors, and which turns is, out to be this, one director at this point. Yes. Um. Like I said, I, I think on subsequent viewings, this is going to be. I think unlike Revolutions, this film is going to follow the trajectory of Reloaded. It will be appreciated at some point. Um, it, it it will find that audience where again I have no long I have no idea how long it's going to take. This film will be appreciated at some point. I I am a hundred percent faithful that it will follow the Empire Strikes Back, Shine, The Shining, all these films that were kind of lukewarm upon release, and then it took yet decades of it just kind of I settling. Think. It will. I completely agree. It will. It will find that audience. It will find that critical reception. Um, the the dummies on the internet know they're always going to say that Fight Club is the greatest movie ever. Um, <laughs> I, I, in a way, I wish. I, as much as I hate Fight Club, I kind of wish it would get a sequel so people could realize how stupid that first movie is. Um, but no, this would it be Fight Club two or Fight Clubs? <laughs> what do you think? How about Fights called? Club? How about that? How about we make we make Fight? the fight part oh, plural. Okay. Um, who made who made Fight Club? That was, what's studio. his name? David uh, Fincher. Give us a check. Well, David Fincher. I don't remember the studio. Um, I want the studio to give us money for Fights Club. <laughs> I think it's 20th Century Fox. Or I guess we need it from Netflix now because Fincher can't get money from anybody other than Netflix now. <laughs> um, but yeah, no Matrix Resurrections. Like walking out of it, uh, the, the IMAX time, watching it in its entirety. Um, I, 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 I basically shrugged and said, like walking out, like it, it's Wachowski nonsense. Like you'd be stupid to expect anything else and when i say nonsense i don't mean that in a negative way i just mean that as maybe a term synonymous with the word stuff yeah it was like that like the more the more i think about it the more i rewatch it for every like maybe one problem i have with it there's maybe two or three things i appreciate about it for Lawrence fishburne and morpheus i think it's a different story Morpheus fundamentally can exist in the time frame of this movie. If Morpheus existed as Lawrence Fishburne, he would be, what, 140 years old or something like that? He had to die as an old man. He had to relegate himself to the human world. That's what Morpheus wanted. He always wanted to free people from the Matrix. It's in that second movie when he's talking to Harry Lennox, Commander Locke, and he's saying, we've freed more minds in the last six months than we have in the last 20 years. Of course time is passing. We need Morpheus to be dead. And while I kind of don't like the fact that they glossed over the MMO death of Morpheus and they put this high counselor stuff that we talked about in place of it that Niobe describes to us, Jada Pinkett Smith describes to us, I kind of get where they're coming from, that they need a new Morpheus. And 
I think it is a very special type of Morpheus because this Morpheus is created by Neo. Well, no, no, no. like I said, yes, what you're saying is the understood, like, uh, thing of, like, okay, Neo, I'm sorry, Morpheus the I'm talking lore, yeah. Yes, like, like, okay, but it's the thing, though. I get what you're saying, like, okay, like, technically, Agent Smith, blah, 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 he can never, like, Hugo Weaving, like, cannot really age because he's a program. Yes. Whereas Morpheus, circa original three films... Is an indiv- is a human being that can age? It's been sixty years since the events of the first three films. He I get that. He has to die in the real world, no matter that's fine, what that's his fine, his fine, residual self image looks like in the Matrix. The char- he has to die. Mind, yeah. I do not mind the character Morpheus as portrayed by Lawrence Fishburne in the first three films dying. If you're going to do the modal thing like they do in Resurrections, why not ask Lawrence Fishburne to come? If you already if they already wanted Hugo Weaving to come back. Why not just put like Lawrence Fishburne with like makeup or something like that? I, again, I'm not. I'm being more devil's sure. advocate as no, opposed no, no. to being obstinate. I get you. I get you. Here, here's here's my retort. What do you think about the fact if if we had the same exact movie, this idea that Thomas Anderson, Neo, who has been placed in the anomalium and forced in this in this repetitive loop of creating the Matrix as a video game, if he recreated. The Morpheus that we know, would that be effect? What is what is the meaning of that? I I don't understand why. From all of the things, so so this is coming post hoc analysis. Let me let me try and organize my thoughts about this. This is coming post hoc analysis. We know what this movie is about. We know what Neo is going through. Thomas Anderson, Keanu Reeves in the first act of this movie. If he was able to just recreate the original Morpheus, wouldn't that undercut the fact that the analyst has tried to reconstruct him to create a new Matrix? I feel that it is imperative that Neo's memories are somewhat blurred in his instantiation of the Matrix in this new movie, in his video games. I don't think that if we had Lawrence Fishburne taking the role of Morpheus, it would have made sense. Because, and I think this ties into something that we need to talk more about, when you see Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss in reflections inside the analyst matrix, they do not look like themselves. And the enti- and there's a, actually a point in the movie when they talk about how the matrix was able to change Neo's r- uh, residual self-image, his RSI, and he looks much older than he actually is. I don't believe that if Lawrence Fishburne came back as he is now, with makeup or not, of course, I don't think that it makes sense that Neo would remember him exactly as he is. I feel that when we get the the monologue from the analyst, Neil Patrick Harris saying, it cost more than renovating a house to rebuild you guys, he's not going to let Neo have his memories back. He's going to make sure they're blurred. And so Neo is not going to be able to remember what he knows from his real life. He's going to have them in this residual image that makes them different people. And I think that's why Carrie Ann Moss is different in reflections. It's a very important scene when Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss sit down in the coffee shop, Simulates, which I love the name of. When they're talking to each other, there's a shot of Keanu, or Neo, I should say, looking at the, at the coffee table, the glass coffee table, and he sees a different reflection from what Carrie Ann Moss looks like. At the same time, in the big fight scene between Keanu and Jonathan Groff, 
Jonathan Groff looks in the mirror and he sees Hugo Weaving Smith. I think there's a big deal is that purposefully the analyst is trying to muddle their memories to make sure they do not recreate what we've seen previously. Sure. Again, I don't like in a lore sense. I do not argue with any of this. Exactly. Uh, And that's what I'm saying. I guess maybe that's the point that I want to bring up to you, Zach. I think to Lana, the lore is more important than the, than the continuity of actors, if that's what you're getting at. I think that's, the but that's lore the thing, but why, of changing why, visuals then, is but then more why even Then why even approach Hugo Weaving? I think if they, if they got Hugo Weaving, they would have used it very similarly in um, the sense that we would have also had, just for sake of argument, Jonathan Groff playing him for the most part and Hugo Weaving coming in later. I do not think if Hugo Weaving assign, was agreed onto this role, he would have been Smith through and through. I think he would have just been a reveal in that warehouse fight. I do not think Hugo Weaving would have played his business partner in the Anomaly and Matrix. See, so there would have been some sort of like <sighs> metamorphosis, you think? Or I, I, am I misunderstanding think, this? Because I think that's the point. And not to jump the gun too much because we have so much to talk about, but the, the idea of the analyst being the replacement for the architect and creating this new matrix. Uh, may, may I, may I say Zach, this dyad in the matrix. <laughs> I, I, uh... I know you have a lot to say about that. And we'll get to that. But I, I honestly believe that the, the deconstruction and transformation, transmogrification of forms is very important. I think if Hugo Weaving had agreed to do this role, we would have gotten everything up to the warehouse scene with Jonathan Groff. Jonathan Groff would have revealed the Merovingian to, um, you know, Neo and stuff like that. And during their fight, Jonathan Groff would have turned into Hugo Weaving. I cannot imagine any world where Hugo Weaving would have played Smith throughout the entire movie. It would not really? work. Yeah, absolutely. He has to be something different. I, But that's just me. That's just me fitting my worldview more worldview, my lore view into this. I I can't imagine that Hugo Weaving, you know, he he's so stoic. He's doing like you said in our episodes. He's doing the Hugo Weaving thing. I don't think you can get him back for something like this. It wouldn't make sense. I, well, that, again, that's the million dollar question, exactly. though, and that's where, like I said, I I have no issues with again. John, I, I do want to segue into Jonathan Groff. I, I have a lot to ask you about Jonathan Groff. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. So I, I really, it, it's one of those things where I, I, he doesn't feel like Smith to me. Like he feels like a completely different character. I do not buy him as the really? extension okay. of Smith as seen in the first three films. Well, well I, let me let me ask you first and foremost. Uh, do you know Jonathan Groff from anything else? Do you like him as an actor? That's my first question. No, I have nothing. I have nothing against him as an actor. Like I like his performance in this movie. I just don't accept him as the again, whatever you want to call it, evolution, continuation, sure. residual of the Hugo Weaving character in the first three films. That, I do not accept that. That has been my biggest kind of you know like marker for this movie is I, I love a lot of things about this movie. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the things I don't like, we'll get to, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I think Zach and I, you have to talk, you and I have to talk about the fucking, some of the scenes with Keanu Reeves. It's like Keanu Reeves purposely injected himself with down syndrome for some of these lines. It's so fucking stilted, but Jonathan Groff, 
I, I've seen him in Mindhunter. I think we talked about this in The Matrix as well. But I've seen him in Mindhunter. He's the main character in Mindhunter. He's okay there. He pales in comparison to um, uh, Holt McElhaney and um, Olivia from Fringe. I don't remember her actual name. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I, I am kind of okay with the fact that he is adopting a role that we know and love, if that makes sense. It's it's almost like, may, maybe I can make this comparison, which, which might not make sense to some people, but I hope you understand what I'm saying, Zach. It's like if you recast Jaws. It's like if you recast the shark to be an octopus or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Does that make some sense? Well, no, I, 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 I get it. It's, it's meant to be that whole, it's the whole theme of this. And that, like, okay, like, things, again, it's, the day, they, they've changed, they've tweaked things, it's a play on that, again, it's the Star Wars thing, of, like, well, it's the Stormtroopers, just slightly different Stormtroopers, it's the <laughs> Jurassic World thing, where, like, it's a big bad dinosaur, it's not a T-Rex, but it's almost as bad, it's just as bad as a T-Rex. Well, let me, let it's me, let me tweaking. put this, let me put this in perspective in, in terms of what I think about the lore, is that, of course, I, I think it's been established, I've said it a thousand times now, in these 76 hours of episodes, you cannot have Neo without Smith. That is what these stories have established. These two are. Is that in... the okay? Is, sure. Really though, like is yes. that really? Yes, that that's what the architect describes at the end of the second movie. Is that Neo is the anomaly for the human side, and the the one percent anomaly for the human side, and the remainder is what didn't get defragmented at the end of the first movie. He's the remainder of the anomaly. Just as Neo wants to save humanity, Smith is the one that wants to destroy the Matrix. And so I let, let, let's just bef- before we get into that, Zach, just just take that for sake of argument. You cannot have Neo without Smith. And I like the idea in this movie that they this the analyst Neil Patrick Harris is playing with the residual self images of these players. And Neo, Keanu Reeves as we see him, of course he looks like Keanu Reeves to us, but the first act of the movie describes how everybody sees him as different. He looks like an old man. He looks completely different from Keanu Reeves. I think that goes exactly to why Smith is now different. Smith looks different to us because this new iteration of the Matrix has distorted his residual self-image. And that goes even further to the fact that the analyst's new Matrix can change Smith's and Neo's residual self-image. That is the glory of the analyst and the anomalium, that it has more control over the anomaly than ever before. But is it is there ever a moment in this film where the analyst acknowledges Smith's existence? Mm, uh, keep talking. Outside, while I look, outside keep talking the, while I look through my three pages of notes, Zach. I'm sure I have it written down. <laughs> outside of the moment in Simulate during the third act climax, where Smith Out, shoots okay. him in the face, outside of that, that's the O face. There is no point in this film where the analyst acknowledges. Forget about Smith's and Smith's importance that you have. You've just laid out. His existence outside of that last act, I would say no. I would say no. I am pulling on this from my pure, deep, intrinsic dive into (laughs) Matrix lore. I acknowledge that. (laughs) And that's the thing. But I, I, I know what you're saying. But you have to acknowledge, like the warehouse scene when when um, they're going back to find um, um, Trinity. But this is 
that, I, I, that's Rob, when I'm that's when disagree- Smith says he's like Neo. You got to take a back seat. I don't want to be put on a leash again. You got to stop looking for Trinity. And he's like, I'm not. And and Smith says, well, you know, we, we can't exist at the same time. But then the gloriousness of the end of this movie is that Smith realizes they have to exist at the end of this. Oh, my God. Okay, we, I'm getting into myself. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> but at the end of the movie, again, in Simulate, yes. Smith says to Neo, he goes, the end of our, what, delicate, partnership unexpected alliance comes to an end yes so like this is the thing though and like it clearly feels like like is there a lot set up for a potential fifth film yes but at the same time it feels like a lot of like oh god things have been tied off uh well i mean kind of what is what is okay but like like you said yes uh, from what you've laid out based on the first three films Smith and Neo are, are tied together. Whatever, I, I'll, yes. con- I'll concede. Okay. I'll concede that point for right now. But there's nothing in this film, the fourth film, that like outside of the character of Smith just being there because it feels oddly necessary. Is there a narrative reason for him well, to be present? I, I think I think you're getting at something that I I have hated about the criticism of this movie. I get you, Zach. We 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 both, and I'm with you. We want to view films in this way. I do not think, as a st- God, how do I even phrase this? As a standalone film, this movie's fucking garbage. This movie needs to be tied to the first three Matrix movies. There is no way that I can talk about this movie without discussing the lore of the previous three of the Animatrix of the MMO. It's a franchise to me. I don't know. The way that you're asking this question, not to, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be super antagonistic to you, Zach, but the way that you're framing this question sounds like you're asking me, it's like, well, I, why can't, you know... Uh, Age of Ultron be its own standalone movie compared to the MCU. It, that's not how it works. But this is, but this is, uh, <laughs> that's not how it works for the. This is my MCU. I think I even said that in our Reloaded episode or something. But the, like no, that. this is the thing, though, Rob, is that there needs to be not again, Rob. It's still a movie. It's a singular experience. Like as much as we laugh at yes, Marvel, yeah. you can still enjoy these movies as a singular experience. My issue with this is not that like I why, but like there needs to be a point where, where the analyst acknowledges his Smith's existence as a potential not just threat to his world but just a component of the pieces he set up over the last X well this is gonna years. this is gonna sound fucking ridiculous but i think the analyst in- implicitly does when we get the warehouse scene when when smith and neo reconnect when smith knows he's smith and you know but right before the merovingian shows up and then yes and don't worry everybody we're going to talk about the merovingian I think that that is the scene where the analyst knows that this this other side of the anomaly has to exist. And that's why Smith is saying, Neo, go back into the real world. Leave the good doctor to me. Because Smith is stronger than the Matrix. That's what we learned in the first three movies. Smith can overpower the Matrix. So, and okay, so, so he can okay, do well, that too. Well, he can do that to Neil Patrick Harris. I need to, okay, explain. He does it to Neil Patrick so what, Harris. <laughs> so okay, so my question is: when the analyst brings Neo back to life, reconstructs him in the real world is what you're talking fine, about. Fine, fine, whatever, whatever you want to call okay. it. When Neo comes back to life, when they when they reanimate Neo's yes. corpse, yes, they they repair was his the, eyes, was which an, you get a great scene the, of. <laughs> was the analyst cognizant of the fact that Smith was brought back? I think he was in the same sense that the architect was. 
And what I mean by that is that he acknowledged it, but he did not view the importance of it because the analyst and the architect are not the same as the oracle. So so the analyst shares the arrogance of the architect. Exactly, and we get that, that line from Neil Patrick Harris. He says, my predecessor was all about formulas and, and you know, deterministic thought. And that is where, oh God, I don't know if we want to get to it, but it'll happen. I think that the architect is the representation of deterministic mathematics, and Neil Patrick Which... Harris, as the analyst, is the representation of stochastic statistics and i fucking love it (laughs) but yes to answer your question i think he was cognizant of it he when i say the program of course i'm I'm sorry anybody who's really gonna nitpick me about robots and shit ignore this episode i'm using pronouns willy-nilly but i think he was aware of it but he did not realize the importance of it as exemplified by the fact that smith can beat the analyst at his own bullet time in the climax of the movie. So, okay. So, like I said, I I don't doubt that, though, but I just wish, again, it's one of those things where... I don't know. I just want to say for the cinematic, if anybody's still listening at this point, because with editing, this might have been, this might be the five-hour mark. Who the fuck knows? Um, the, the, The quick exhale of breath before Zach started that sentence is the the pure embodiment of what the hell have I gotten into (laughs) but please continue (laughs) oh god um so no like okay where do I even begin with this but this is my 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 personal issue with the movie is that and I'm saying this is an objective criticism it's that like instead of having an awkward sequence where we have like one of Niobe's people lead like neo to a dungeon and we have that moment Mm -hmm. i would rather have seen the film comment not explain not handhold but comment on the relationship of like smith to this current iteration of the matrix i would i would prefer like that's the thing right i would rather again this is me being selfish being subjective (laughs) i would instead of taking again i would rather taking out some of the clunkier not clunkier just some moments that I considered not 100% necessary, I would have liked to have seen a scene with the analyst where there is this – some level of like – I don't want to say realization, but just like, okay, Neo has been let off the chain. What sort of chaos is this going to now – like even if it was Niobe, be like Ni- Niobe goes to Neo in one of those con- – like that conversation before well, she locks well, him in. The- this- well, hold on, hold on a sec. Sorry. Even if there was a moment where like, Ni- like Niobe's like, Neo, I understand how important Trinity is to you though. But but there is this complication of that now that you're free, Smith is free. And like – because again, think about it. Bane was something that was – think about it. Smith and then Bane was a real-world complication. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just hit the nail on what I was going to say. Do these people know about that? That that's the thing. Are, is Smith well, Roland, something? Roland that... Roland was aware of the consequences. No, of this. you would Ro- imagine Roland, Roland was sat... aware that Bane hurt himself and probably, with no proof, caused an EMP to go off too early. All Roland knows well, but, is but, that, that he had woman, doubts woman, on Bane what? and went on the logos with Neo and Trinity. There's no reason to think that anybody else in this universe knows how bad Smith or Bane but, was well, ever. But clearly, Roland. But again, he remember. Bane stabbed the blonde woman, the 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 uh, pixie cut haired blonde woman. Yes, but he didn't know that was Smith. Oh yes, they did. Okay, he know Smith. Okay, I guess you're. I guess you're. Absolutely, right. I, they thought Bane. They we have the whole EVP or VP thing. We have the whole thing that I talked about in the third episode. That 
you know, the uh, the uh, the delirium tremens of the Matrix. They don't know it was Smith. That's my thing. I don't I don't think anybody in the real world, the human world, reality knows what Smith is capable of other than Neo and Trinity. You okay? Okay, you're right. You're right. Based on what we have in the film, but this is but this, again, this is where it starts to divulge from like again what I would have done versus what the filmmakers would have done. Sure, and that's my thing. Where like in in, in a Matrix Four, I would have liked to have seen what the world they've set up. I would have liked to have seen further emphasis on that smith element let me let me ask you a question at the end of revolutions when neo goes to the machine city who knows he's going to the machine city it's him it's trinity and it's the gang that gives him the ship the logos it's it's niobe it's morpheus it's roland all they know is that he's going to the machine city even Morpheus, he doesn't know that he's going to stop Smith. He just knows That's, that Neo has are, to go I'm to the not, Machine I'm, City. I am not arguing that. What I am arguing is that considering that Smith is somehow, again, by his own words, by the dialogue, let off the chain once Neo is out of the Matrix. Sure. The leash, but yes. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Six to one, half dozen the other. Yes, let it's, me nitpick not... dialogue from the Matrix at this point. I'm sorry, Zach. That was very arrogant of me. <laughs> But that's the thing. I was just like I would have liked a little more attention put on that. Well, let me. I want to dive into that. What I mean, like Bane. That's the thing. I mean, let, let's get at this because I think Roland, Roland, the um, the captain of the Hammer, um, as we see in the in Revolutions, and uh, of course the video game Enter the Matrix, which I I played and talked about. Uh, I just want to remind everybody of that. Um, He's the one that we actually get some closure on because what Elster on the Nemesine is her is his granddaughter. And we get the scene in Matrix Resurrections where, you know, it says like you're Roland's granddaughter and she says, "Yeah, and he never really believed in you, but you know, after the fact he said you op- you freed his mind twice." I love that closure. But that is only post hoc closure. From what we see in the third movie, Roland is so fucking against losing ships he's a he's a general he's a captain uh he is a captain he's a tactic he's a tactician he doesn't want to lose ships to something stupid you know and when you get the whole thing of it's like oh like you said oh we found our doctor dead in the thing it has to be bane well where's bane he must be on the logos he's the one who says well fuck it we need to get back to zion you know what i'm saying is that I, sure. I don't, I don't again, think there's I, again, a level I, of understanding of Smith ever other than the, the I, I want, programmers. I want, that's, but that's the thing, though. In this movie, I would have liked to have seen more emphasis on Smith's relationship to this new iteration of The Matrix. Whether it be through through the analyst, okay. Okay. the fact that he's off the chain with Neo now. You do realize I, that it can't go into the real world. Like, Smith – like if, if you, no, 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 I, I'm not talking about that. I would sure. just like the movie as a – Filmmaking experience with devoted runtime to explaining. Okay, okay. Jonathan Groff Smith's connection to this new iteration of the Matrix. Yes, okay. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. And that that's a one of the critiques I've read from people um, on the internet. You know, these terrible unwoke people that hate blue hair. You know, <laughs> that type of thing. So I, I don't know, Rob. Like, part of me wants to be like, okay, top three favorite moments, like like that level of just like like that's the thing because like like there's like literally this is a movie that like we could break down almost like on a scene by scene basis. Like this is that level. But I, of, like because I, I have could, so many yeah. questions 
And at the same time, there's so much happening. Like, I think... Possibly my favorite movie... This has to be maybe my top... One of my top ten favorite moments in cinematic history is the White Rabbit, like, music montage of them design... Or brainstorming the new Matrix game. And, like, I'm like, this is literally everything I've been saying... Like, on the Star Wars podcast, I've been saying for years, it's like, people are like, why are these movies the way they are? I'm like, this is how they literally make movies now. It's a bunch of what people... What is the metaphor of Matrix for? It's for crypto-fascism. No, no, it's about bullet time and crypto-fascism. Oh, my God. I love that scene. Oh, that's, I love everything. But, that's, but that's like... <laughs> like, this movie is... Like, speaking of the motif of mirrors, that's what this movie... Yes. Like, and that's where I sit on a thematic level this movie might be unparalleled. It might genuinely be something no one has ever done before. Can I explain... Um, I, I saw this in theaters, um, but I had previously watched the movie on HBO Max. Like, I stayed up until it released on HBO Max and watch it, and watched it. When I watched this the first time, I lost my mind at some of those first beginning moments. I lost my mind at how meta-commentary where they were, how, how well done they were. I love that first act of the movie. Absolutely. Oh, uh, well, yes. Oh, no, 100%. Like, it's it, it's everything that, like, and sometimes it's genuinely jarring. Like, as, like, we see our first interaction between, uh, you know, God, Neo and Jonathan Groff, it's, I, like, I, and he actually says Warner Brothers. And I was just like, I, I couldn't yes. believe it. Like, that was like, I'm just like. Our parent company at Warner Brothers says they're going to do it with or without us. <laughs> I, I couldn't, like, forget about the context of that conversation as in, like, what they're trying to, like, get like, convey narrative-wise. I couldn't believe they actually referenced the genuine parent company of, of, the, of the studio that was making the film. I, I thought that was awesome. And I also, I. I have to say, in the opening scene, I guess the it's not really cold open because every Matrix movie starts with the title card, so it's not really cold. But um, that opening scene with you know Bugs going through the um, the modal and that type of thing when she meets Morpheus and she's like you know Morpheus says or Yahya Abdul Mateen we don't know is Morpheus yet says you know who are you and she goes my name's Bugs as in Bunny and I was like oh fuck they're doing it better than Space Jam already. <laughs> Well, okay, this is the thing, though, is that, like, oh, God, I know we're going to be here forever. This might actually be, like, a 12-hour level discussion. Dude, this is it. I mean, I, if there was ever a recording that would take up two dates, like the Titanic episode, it would be this, I think. Yeah, it might be. I don't want it to, but it might. It might be. <laughs> um, if my power goes out, it might. Oh, God. I, I, again, that's the thing. I, I just don't know where to begin with this because there's just so much. It, it's so dense. Okay, so how about how about this? How about I lay – because I want, I want you to – to talk a lot, Zach, because I, I can go on for hours. This could have been a solo episode, honestly, like I did for the um, Adventure Time BMO episode or anything like that. Here's the thing. You said this whole idea of, you know, breaking down this. Well, how about this? Like, a, like we. Okay. How about this? I want to talk about some things that bothered me, and I'm going to let you bounce off them. Sure. Okay. Um, Jonathan Groff, like, again, I've seen him do things. I, I, as an actor, he's fine. What have you seen him in? This is actually you. You're hitting one of the biggest topics I wanted to touch on right now. What have you seen, Jonathan Groff? Oh, most obviously the one that I'm the most familiar with is him as the voice of uh, Frozen Man. 
Um, what else have I seen? Him? Oh, he's um, what is he? He's the prince, right? No, 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 he's not the prince. Christoph, he's Christoph. Yes. No, he's the uh, the the reindeer. I've never salesman, seen Frozen, so or wherever he is in that. The reindeer, sa- okay? Not salesman, whatever. He has I, the reindeer. I, I, don't I don't know. I've never seen. I'm sorry. I'm just repeating what you said. I'm sorry, I'm Zach. I've never seen that movie. I don't think that counts. It's a voice acting performance. I want full acting performance. Okay, then I've seen him in bits and pieces of like like Hamilton clips and stuff like that. Okay, okay. Mine Hunter. Have you seen him in Mine Hunter? No. Other than that, probably outside of clips from Hamilton, not much. So this is one of my this was one of my biggest feelings after seeing this movie. I do not know how to feel about Jonathan Groff as an actor because I saw him in Mindhunter and I watched Mindhunter solely for watching things David Fincher directed, and I was always on the fence. Uh, Mindhunter has what nineteen episodes? I've seen them all. Um, Holt McElhaney is in it. He's clearly the better actor, of course. Um, but Jonathan Groff, I was always on the fence. Like there were some episodes where I was like, wow, he's really capturing the, the care of this FBI agent who wants to find serial killers. And there were other moments where I was like, what is he doing? He's so stoic. He might as well be a serial killer. What did you think of him as Smith? That was one of the big questions I was asking a lot of people right after this movie. I have, again, it goes back to like how he talked about like Mila Kunis and Jupiter Ascending. I have no problem with the actor. But that is not Smith. It's not. It's a new character that they're calling Smith. I did not for a second ever buy that this is the, con- I don't even know what you would say the right word is, continuation of the character Smith as played by Hugo Weaving. Continuation is a good word, but it is really the recontextualization to form a chain in the Anomaly and Matrix. Um, he, ha- he has to look different to... Rob, to keep Rob, Neo Rob, away Rob, from Trinity. Rob, Rob, Should we get to that later? Rob, I don't know Rob. what what he has to look like. He has to not look like Hugo Weaving because Hugo Weaving has scheduling conflict. Yeah. Okay. Yes. In all actuality, the reported story is that Hugo Weaving has scheduling conflicts with his with with his theater work, and I don't blame him. Hugo Weaving has his priorities. Um, he's already played the best role in cinematic history, the German Shepherd Dog in Babe, um, and so he can do whatever he wants. As far as I'm concerned, Jonathan Groff, at the end of the day, after seeing this movie this many times, I kind of love him as Smith. I don't I, know if I love thing. him as Smith this... as Hugo Weaving. I love him as Smith as the counter 99% of Neo, which is lore heavy. Well, that's of the course. thing. Like I, all like I said, Rob, you understand this world better than I do. But I'm coming at this more, as, uh, yes, closer to a layman than you. Yeah, is which is probably what ninety eight. I would have a hundred percent appreciated if Jonathan Groff was this mystery character that we slowly was being introduced as. Oh, maybe he's like like you like you just said. He's some form of amalgamation of what Smith was. I would have preferred a new character as opposed to like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is Smith. It's like no, it's not. Like Hugo, we- and I think I think it's a disservice to Hugo Weaving's acting talents and his very particular take on that character, because Jonathan Gra is playing this character in a very different, smart. Again, they're both Jonathan Gra's portrayal of Smith versus Hugo Weaving's. They're both smarmy, yes. But one is very, very different take on smarmy than the other. But don't so you're saying that one is a different take on Smarmy. You're relating you're relating this to Jonathan Groff's portrayal no. of Smith being. I'm different. not blaming Jonathan Groff. I think again it's no, going no, no, back I, to. I the, don't think you're blaming. I'm Jonathan not Groff, blaming on him. I'm is, blame, I think they should have made him again. He should have been a wholly original character. He should not so have been you, Smith. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> 
100% not, because when the analyst rebuilds Neo, he realized that he has to rebuild Smith as well, because the bundle of 1% of the anomaly in Neo is the bundling of the 99% in Smith. And that's why Smith says when they meet in the warehouse before the Merovingian shows up that the analysts realize that they should not be put opposed, they should be used as a chain. I think that is perfect. Honestly, I, this is this is going to be the hottest take. I, this is literally my hottest take about this movie. If Hugo Weaving played Smith in this movie, it would not work. It would not work. Because the analyst and the new iteration of The Matrix has to recreate the digital self-image of everybody in this movie from the perspective of the audience. That's why we only see Neo and Trinity as they are unless we see them in reflections. Because if you notice, every time we see Neo or Trinity in reflection, they do not look like Keanu Reeves or Carrie Ann Moss. There is no reason to recreate the actual physical shell code of Agent Smith. It has to be different. Otherwise, Neo would realize that his business partner is his enemy in his video game. It can't happen. It fundamentally cannot happen. Then, then if that's the case, then the story change had to had to be done. Like that's no. the thing. There's no. There's no. Okay. No. What, what purpose they does are, Smith have? Okay. Whoa, 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 okay. Uh, saying, no, saying no is not in a rebuttal. Oh, it's an fair. exclamation. Okay. That's a right. What story? What part? Okay. By having Smith the character in here, what level of importance does he play into the plot? How does he alter the plot in any way? Oh, oh my the god, Zach, did you did you miss the whole thing that he said? He is the literal chain to keep Neo away from Trinity. He is the literal, he is the ball and chain. He is the anchor to keep Neo and Trinity just far apart enough that they create enough energy. That's what the analyst describes. How? But okay, but how, okay. Again, this goes back to Matrix telling, not showing. At what sure. point do we, at what point in the movie are, is that visually expressed to us? Never. I mean, Thank you're you. right, Zach. Thank you. Okay, we're Thank back. You. We're back in our everybody. If you liked our Jupiter Ascending episode, oh, that that was an anomaly. I went on record. <laughs> I like this movie. I do like it. I oh, think yeah, it's a thematic. I think it's a thematic masterpiece. But it is very much a Matrix sequel, for better it, or worse. It is. It is never. You're right. It is never shown. It is told. It is told through great. You know morass of slime and and dipping through it because we have the whole scene when you know the uh, neo goes back into the matrix um when he breaks free from zion uh, sorry io fucking love the fact that it's called io now because the machine city called zero one it's the flip of it oh it's so cool but you have neo mobile going back avenue? in the matrix mobile uh, avenue uh, Mo- I mean, Mobile Avenue is really cool, too. But Neo goes back into the Matrix to find Trinity, and he's encountered by Smith. And Smith realizes this. And Smith realizes who he is, and his reawakening is such a big part of this movie. If that was not Smith, whether it be, you know, Hugo Weaving, Jonathan Groff, anybody else, if it was a different character, this movie would fall flat. Because when Neo is recreated, when Neo is rebuilt by the analyst the analyst is inherently rebuilding Smith. That's the failing of the analyst at the end of the movie that he doesn't realize that when he rebuilds Neo, the 1% anomaly that is built to survive or or bolster humanity, he is rebuilding the 99% of anomaly in the Matrix that is stronger than the Matrix itself. And that is why Smith at the end of the movie is able to move as fast as the analyst. Okay, I have a question. Okay, and like I said... 
okay. Um, <laughs> Zach, if you want to, if you want to do thematic things before I go into all my lore stuff, it's I. Well, I I'm totally gonna, when you do here. that, I'm gonna go sit there like go make a sandwich, like okay. uh, mow the East Forty, like like something like that. Um, oh my god! Okay. Wait till we get to Sati. Holy shit! <laughs> I think this might be a Rob solo episode. Just me occasionally interjecting with questions. As long as you're not anti, uh, as long as you're not anti wokeness, I'm okay with it, Zach. <laughs> But this is the but this is the thing though is that uh, then the, doesn't this nullify uh, no please please just just tell me just like, no I'm, I'm answering my own I'm answering my own questions um, <laughs> but this but this is the thing though is it's like yes by re but okay Smith Smith as in we saw him last in revolutions yes. was a virus that had permeated the system correct. Yes. Corru- corrupted the entirety of the Matrix at the end yes. of, the, of, of, of Revolutions. Do we know? Okay, at the end of Revolutions, Neo is used as a vessel to introduce what? An antivirus? Yes, an antivirus, a defragmentation, a deletion program. Okay. So by the, the analyst rebuilding him, what, Neo. Yes. That rebuilding Neo's biological body and then re what would you even call that reinstalling him into the matrix what would be the correct verb there sure yeah re i think reinstalling is a good word you know just what cypher wanted you know cypher wanted in the first movie to um forget his whole existence and be reinstalled into the matrix absolutely yeah. okay which we get a very nice scene where we see neo eating a, a very rare steak which is a very nice cheering, uh, cheering nobody with his wine glass i love that scene <laughs> again clever so by biological again Smith being a wholly original digital creation yet by biologically recreating Neo so a part of Smith's Smith lived on in Neo's bi- biological being well no no I don't think a part of Smith lived on in Neo's biological being I think the existence uh, or sorry the recreation of Neo's body reinstantiated the existence of Smith because as we know from the second and third movies Neo is a bundling of an anomaly that humans want to feel hope that's what the oracle did the oracle found out that the anomaly in the human race which the human race, of course, is now inextricably linked to computer programming because of them being born with plugs and jacks and shit like that into the Matrix. This recreation of Neo has recreated the 99% regulatory anomaly that is Smith. There is no way that Neo can live without Smith, period. That when Neo exists... He is the 1% that wants to free humanity. The other 99% will always exist that wants to destroy it. And that is the moment, which is also one of my favorite lines in the movie, at the very end when Jonathan Groff, as Smith in this movie, says, you know, Neo, our unexpected alliance comes to an end. You know, the thing about us is that you've always been you, but I've always been anybody. And he zooms out of there. Okay. That's the difference. Okay. But then why at the moment... Okay, this is the thing about the movie, though. And then the other thing about the chain. Don't forget the chain. Is that the analyst knew about this relationship between Neo and Smith and and put them together... But we never see a moment where the... Okay, but this is the thing, though. We never have a moment in the film where the analyst acknowledges Smith's existence outside of the moment where Smith is shooting him. 
The very end. Yes, yes. That's what I mean. But we never get a moment where the analyst even references Smith. The only time... No, the, the, anal- the analyst is greedy. The analyst is the extension of the architect in the sense of what I said in the previous three episodes. Sorry, Matrix episodes. I know we got Jupiter ascending in there. The, that the, the, the analyst has now become the architect, but with greater parameters of execution. The, the analyst is the architect evolved, but more in the sense of humanity. And the analyst, while never really recognizing Smith in this movie, has to be consciously aware of them. In that scene when okay, he says, Rob, I was Rob, there Rob, when Rob, you Rob, died. Rob, Rob, okay, Rob, 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 I need you to take a step back from the mythology and realize Please. this is a movie. This Please, is a movie. Zach, Please rein me in. Please Rob, rein me Rob, in. Rob, this isn't this isn't this isn't like Greek fables from 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 millennia ago. This I don't know. Movie. The ship's called the Nemesine, and that's the Greek goddess of memory. I, okay, please. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> but this is the thing, though, is that we need to like we have like I said, this movie introduces a lot of ideas, and but it would be so much more fulfilling if we had a moment where the analyst acknowledges Smith's existence in his in his in his relevance to events unfolding. I, I, I'm with you that I. Would this is a like movie, that. Rob. This is again, once again, we're, this is a nine-figure budgeted film. This is and, and not. Zach, this I'm going to tell you once again that I am such a fan of the Matrix that I don't care about any. Of that. I know, but you have to. If you're going to be someone who discusses film. You have to learn how to traverse both the objective and the subjective equally. You cannot live You cannot live exclusively in the subjective. And don't say I haven't done that in the past. I'm only choosing to do that and living completely in the subjective for the Matrix movie. <laughs> You're a monster, Rob. But, so, I'm with you. I do believe that Smith in this movie is solely based on what we know about him, when I say we, I mean me, for my deep understanding of Matrix, in earlier movies. I am with you that as he stands, if you view this without the understanding, the 30 hours that I've talked to you about Smith, that this could come off as shallow or disconnected or things like that. I get you. There. I don't think it's. I don't think it's any of those. It's just a matter of preference. Oh for me, well. Well, that that's what I've been. I, I guess this transition. That's what I've been reading. People really hate that Smith is in this movie because he is un undeveloped. If that makes sense. And I don't believe that because of what I know about the intrinsic nature between the one and Smith. But I've been reading a lot about how people are saying it's like, well, why the fuck is he here? Like, what's his purpose? And I I read a lot of people going, he just helps Neo at the end. Because the script tells him to. And I want to punch those fucking people in the face because that is the stupidest take on this movie. But I, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? Is that I, I, I guess I'm kind of agreeing, you with, agreeing with you in a weird way is that Smith is not fleshed out. And yes, I'm with you. I would have loved a little more character development with him. But he belies the story in a sense that I agree with because I'm so steeped in this lore, if that makes sense. Well, sure. Like I said, it's just more I would have liked considering that he does have that level of importance in the film. I would have liked more screen time devoted to him. Do you like maybe on a on a more um, on a more superficial level? Do you like the fact that he is uh, Thomas Anderson's business partner in this version? Oh, of yeah, that's, oh, that's neat. I like that. Uh, yeah. OK. OK. I'm glad we can agree on that because I really kind of like that because I knew from the marketing and from reading about this that Jonathan Groff was going to be Smith, you know, and I was like, oh, Jonathan Groff, he's the worst part about Mindhunter, you know, um, and and I was like, I'm still kind of torn. I guess that's my question. 
Is Jonathan Groff a good actor or not? I want to ask you objectively, Zach. I've only only seen a couple of things, so I really don't know for certain. That that's fair. Um, I'm okay with that. I think he I think he likes to chew the scenery and ham it up. So I think he's doing exactly what they want him to do. In this. Yeah, and that's kind of why I'm a little on the fence about him. I think he chews it a little too much in other things I've seen him in, but in this. When he picks up the gun during the um, the office raid scene, when you know Morpheus is shooting the SWAT members, and uh, and we get the flashback of Hugo Weaving, and he goes, "Mr. Anderson," I thought that whoa. was great. Whoa, 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 whoa! Okay, you under okay, much like how Rob has done it numerous times on this podcast, underselling a <laughs> moment. Like, please, Zach, we, we are clip. in real time. We are at like hour seven of this discussion. I know. So please, Rob, excuse you have me. to insert that clip. Like, it is so. So dialed up. It's it's not Mr. Anderson. It's Mr. Anderson. <laughs> it's like oh, it is. That's not the right word. It's can not I, Can I just say it's very dialed up? Oh, dialed up. I mean, it's it's a it's a fucking spinal tap to eleven. It's spinal tap to twelve. <laughs> I'm with you. You know, this is also occurring while fucking Yaya Abdul Mateen is running on a wall and shooting SWAT members. Whatever the fuck's going on? You know? <laughs> but man, I cannot express to you. I um I I saw this. I've seen this movie in theaters. I've seen this movie at home. When that happens, it clicks with me. I get goosebumps. That's my fucking shit. I don't know. The best way to say it, like I said in our first three episodes about The Matrix, dude, this is my Star Wars, you know? Like, I fucking care about this shit. And when he picks up that gun and you get that, like Zach said, I'm going to put the clip in, that's that when the music slows down and he picks up that gun and all the water is falling down. I mean, don't get me wrong. Remember in our first Matrix episode, we talked about how there's a fucking waterfall coming down every five minutes or something like that? And he goes, Mr. Anderson! And Neo goes, no, I'm fucking, oh my god. I mean, like, the the seat in front of me at the movie theater got blasted because my dick was so fucking hard, man. I am so fucking into this shit. The person sitting in front of me was like, hey, buddy, don't kick my seat. And he's like, that wasn't my I foot. I am so glad my parents don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm all about about that stuff and i and you know even when we get into the warehouse scene when he re re uh reintroduces himself and he takes the sunglasses off and he's like so predictable and of course neo's predictable he has to go for trinity that's his destiny the opposite of that is making sure he doesn't reach trinity that's what smith is for he is the complement to neo's one percent everything has to add up to one you can never have anything that doesn't add up to one. If you have somebody who is this anomalistic, you need the actual equivalent of anti-anomalistic. And their discussion in the warehouse is so perfect when he says, I need you to leave the good doctor to myself. And Neo says, well, you can. You can do whatever the fuck you want, Smith. I don't care. Just let me have Trinity. And Smith says, no, that's not how this works. We don't get to pick and choose. It is complimentary. And that is the most beautiful thing to me. And then, of course, the Merovingian shows up, and um, I, I think I was literally kicked out of the theater at that point because I was ejaculating on people in front of me. 
Oh, Zach is stunned right now, and uh, maybe this is a good time to cut into the Matrix. I don't know what clip I'd play, but go for it. <laughs> no, like I said, like I, I don't disagree. It, it, this comes down to a matter of preference. My uh, my issues with the Jonathan Groff Smith. Um, I just would have liked more devoted to him. Um, and again, that's that's preference over everything. It's yes. kind of like saying like yeah. I wish my hamburger had three pickles instead of one. It, it, <laughs> it's a matter of preference. I can't really forsake somebody for not doing exactly how I would uh, see. You fit. know what my response is to that, Zach? Uh, your pickles. You got three pickles, and you're hiding two of them under your tongue. <laughs> that's a that SpongeBob, SpongeBob reference. Yeah, hell that's yeah, wrong. that's a SpongeBob that's reference. If that's anybody fucking got that. that before I said it or Zach said it, you get a point. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what we're doing with points, but we're doing points. <laughs> what the hell did you just play? <laughs> I don't know what that was. My phone decided to go off for some reason. Um, Alexa, buy the <laughs> Matrix trilogy. <laughs> I'm sorry. You've already purchased that. <laughs> Three times. <laughs> Whoa. Oh god. Um but okay, so move, moving on to th- Okay, so this is my okay, this is more Okay, so Rob, if you were going to Okay, just continue this line of thought sure. and maybe we'll cap this this follow-up question at 5 minutes. So if there were to be the Matrix 5, would okay. Smith be an ally or an antagonist do you think to the fact that now you have an unleashed Neo mm-hmm. Trinity? Antagonist. 100% because the end of this movie is um, Trinity and Neo going off to reshape the Matrix as they see fit, but they leave the arc, the analyst, sorry, they leave the analyst alive. Um, I think that's a very important point that, once again, the idiots on the internet are thinking that, you know, Neo and Trinity have won the day at the end and they just get to control the Matrix as they see fit. I don't think they do. No matter how much they can change reality inside of the Matrix, the machines will still be able to change their programming. I think the big bad would be Smith. The reason I think this, hear me out, Matrix 5, this is what I would do. Not that I'm an expert or anything, you know, you guys haven't listened to me talk about the Matrix for 16 hours or anything like that. What I would do is the first maybe half of the movie would be Neo and Trinity fighting the machines, fighting deus ex machina, to recreate the Matrix to be better for humans, and and really restoring the peace that is achieved at the end of Revolutions. Because if you remember, at the end of Revolutions, the idea is that the new iteration of the Matrix will let people stay in there if they want, or leave if they want. That changes. In the MMO, when the truce is broken, which I know I mentioned earlier, that changes, and the architect stops people from having that choice, creates the analyst, creates the anomalium, which leads into Matrix 4. At the end of Matrix 4, when Neo and Trinity have this new uh, understanding of the Matrix, they basically become the architect of the Matrix. Um, They're the ones who get to see fit. I think they're going to try and restore that balance. They're going to try and undo the events of the MMO. But what's standing in their way? It's Smith. Smith is the only thing standing in their way. Because Smith is the only thing in existence that is more powerful than the Matrix. I think that's something that people aren't fully grasping is that Smith, the 99% of the anomaly, which I know I've said fucking thousands of times now, but you got to realize this. As strong as Neo is, Smith is stronger. The only reason Smith gets defragged and doesn't even fully get defragged at the end of Revolutions 
is because Neo lets himself get absorbed. I think Smith would come back and say, no, this is my Matrix. I'm more powerful than it. I'm going to recreate it in my own image. And we would have a great, like, Lucifer versus God type of... I, I think Matrix 5, you know, let me put it this way. Maybe we can all understand. Matrix 5 would be a near-carbon copy of the movie Constantine. And it would be amazing. It would be heaven versus hell. Battle for Earth type of thing. Is that what you wanted to hear, Zach? Or are you angry I, I, at me beyond belief? <laughs> no, no. I, like I said, no, I, I'm just interested is all well, because I just— You're angry I, I would... at me beyond belief for other reasons, but sure. <laughs> sure, yeah, that part is true. That is absolutely true. Um, I, I, okay, you answered my question, so I really can't push back. I because asked you to speculate out loud, and you did, you, so uh, you I am satisfied. Let's leave it at that. have Smith. You cannot not have Smith. <laughs> I, I am satisfied, so if you want to move on, like I said— You know what? Comes, in Matrix 5, question. In Matrix Five, when Smith comes back, that's when you bring up Hugo Weaving. That's where the moment works. When Neo who Neo and Trinity, this dyad of the Matrix—I'm going to use it again. I don't even know—is it dyad? I'm not, I didn't even look that up. Uh, is that right? Is, no, uh, let me, let me uh, uh, correct myself. Is the thing in Star Wars Episode Nine called a dyad? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. That's what I, I, I was unsure that, that spells of. Spells it. Okay. You get so, the correct spelling. Um, D Y A D. Yes. Okay. Perfect. G- Jesus Christ! I got a four letter word right. <laughs> but I think if if there was another Matrix, it would be about the dyad of Neo and Trinity fighting against the remnants of the anomaly. The anomaly now is not only just Neo, for because we thought for four movies. Literally up until the very end, the climax of Matrix 4, of Resurrections, we thought Neo was the anomaly. But what we learn from the analysts is that it's not just him. It's him and Trinity. They need to be together to form the polar opposites, the positive and negative end of a battery, to charge things. I think in a Matrix 5, we would get Hugo weaving back to be, if Neo's the positive... Um, you know, if Neo's the positron, let's let let's let's start to talk this way. If Neo's the positron, Smith is the anti-positron. He is the antimatter to Neo's matter. Now we have Trinity. I think they would need to introduce a female version of Smith that is the dyad of Smith, and we're gonna have this fucking four-way face-off. I think that basically a fifth matrix would be fucking magnets repelling each other it would be a grand old fight for humanity and if everything goes well matrix six would be aliens coming to earth and dealing with the fact that we've ruined humanity <laughs> yes Rob, rob's favorite scenario oh, in- oh my god that fucking scene in the third matrix when they see the sky all i think is that it's opening the fact to aliens coming down and viewing what we've done <laughs> but, so I have to ask. do you know what i'm so saying whole, with this yes, whole yes. idea okay okay yes okay so i have to ask at the end of the film, where obviously the analyst tells Neo and Trinity, like, go ahead, paint the sky with rainbows, doesn't make a difference to me. Mm-hmm. It, what, how does that relate to the ending of Revolutions, where Sati says, oh, I made that for Neo, and it's a rainbow sky? I think that there is a disconnect because of the events of the MMO. And that might be unsatisfying because I do think the MMO is hardcore canon. And what Sati does at the end of the third Matrix movie of Revolutions is undone by the events of the humans breaking the truce in the MMO. 
I don't know how to answer what you're asking because I think they are Fair fundamentally enough. disconnected. Fair enough. I guess you just brought up a great thing. We need to talk about Sati in this movie. Oh, yes. The what what what's the uh, Kujatu? I think Kujatu, the the blue bird. Well, maybe before we talk about Kujatu, let me talk about something that I fucking loved, which uh, I know Zach will have said, and maybe not will say, but I'll put it from our recording when we were inside the Matrix. Um, I called it right. The machines are going to be on the human side, and we get to see that. And I fucking love that stuff. Can I get a shout out for the fucking creatures that are on the nemesine like i love all this all the characters on the nemesine whether they be humans whether they be robots this is a big deal for me i love that we have some robots on the human side you know what i'm saying <laughs> no i don't even know how to respond to that um real quick i i don't know if i said it in our uh in our inside the matrix discussion you know the scene um there it's something where like neo is fighting the smith or whatever in the warehouse and like uh all the other crew members are in the matrix and they're fighting like all the other you know merovingians uh disconnects or whatever like the vampires and the samurai and um there's a scene where like our good guys win and it cuts back to seek in the um in the operator chair and he says something and he's like hell yeah and he gives a fist bump to that little robot you know what i'm talking about you remember that scene oh yes so i have been reading online that people hate that robot because he speaks jive. Is there any... I, I, I don't want to... I didn't even know that. I, don't I want, did no, not no, no, even no. know hear, that. Hear me out, Zach. Hear me out, Zach. I don't want to be woke about this. Because if anybody hasn't heard or will hear, I go on a woke tangent, which Zach has determined. I don't even call it woke. Zach has called it woke, which is what we're just putting in our records. I, oh, the only point that that robot shows up is Seek goes, man, we did a good job, and fist bumps him. And the robot goes like, do, 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 do. Like he does an R2-D2 noise yeah. or some shit, you know? He does a beep-boop. He's a beep-boop trash can. Thank you. He's a beep-boop trash can. People on the internet have said, I am so fucking offended that they just made robots speak jive. Zach, objectively, do you think there is any jive talk in this movie? I, I don't think so. No! <laughs> no! Objectively, there is not. And people on the internet are fucking stupid because they hate black people, they hate transgender people, they hate people with blue oh God, hair. Rob, That's stop. A, okay. Rob, I'm sorry. Stop. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Magic of editing. Um, Let's get back to the idea of robots working with humans. I think that's something I wanted to ask you. Uh, that's something I told you about, you know, when we did our Revolutions episode about the MMO, that when the, tr when the um, truce is reached after the end of Revolutions, that, you know, it opens the idea of robots working with humans. And I love that this movie really, really dives into it. I love that this movie spends, like, a, a good bit when, you know, the Nemesine, when Bugs and Neo get to Io uh, with Niobe, they talk about the fact that humans and robots are working together to make a better place. And robots, just like humans, get to choose what side they're on. And I have to say, I love that line. There's a line, I, I don't have it written down explicitly, or I can't find it in my notes right now, but there's a line where it says, like, Neo's like, what did I do? What's the point of what I did? That type of thing. And, you know, Bugs says something like, well, no, you did a lot. And he, she introduces Neo to the rest of the crew, and she says, this is what you did. You changed the idea of what our side means. And that is, that is huge. I don't understand why people aren't talking about that enough. The whole fucking first three movies were about 
divisiveness between humans and robots. And what Neo did blurred those lines. It made it less divisive. And that is gigantic. That is a step forward. And I think that's a big theme of this movie, is that even though we've taken such a big step forward, we're still dealing with insecurity and hatred on both sides. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I yeah, I agree. What do you think about the uh, the robot characters that we get? If you have um, any thoughts on them. I mean, they're they're very quick. They're shown very quickly. I mean, Kujatu is, you know, Sati's Kujatu is a different category. You know, I'm talking sure, about sure. the ones on the ship, you know? Well, no, I, I, again, like, it's a logical extension where it becomes one of these things where, like, uh, for, former enemies become allies. Yes. I so, lo- no. I, I love I, no, I when Niobe talks about how she has that flashback and she's like, it was the first time we saw machines fighting machines. Which is a thing from the MMO. They took that directly. That is a cutscene from the MMO that they basically created in live action. Well, CGI live action. I love that stuff. Isn't there a scene also in what, what video game is it where pretty much the exact same thing happens where Bugs leads, leads Neo into that like recreation of his first like introduction to Morpheus from the first film, and it's like projected onto like the sides of like the canvas. Oh, it's like peeling. Yeah, that's that's Pathaneo. Yep, that's yeah. Pathaneo. So yep. like so like yes, yeah. no. So clearly, Lana and the creatives at play here are are cognizant of what the video games have done. Yeah, because they they Lana and Lily did sign off on the story of the MMO. So that, that's why. I but hold not just so but that's the thing. But not just the story, but the visuals of yes, the game as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, with the exception of like I said, the uh, the last fifteen minutes, which is an incomprehensible mess. That is. Uh, uh, yes, 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 which Rob. is difficult, more difficult to understand than um, David Lynch and Kubrick combined. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! But no, like I said, I, I think the if I had to, oh God, pick the most optimistic message from this film, I think again, this is why Bugs is probably the best like new movie character this past year. And that like her whole thing to Neo is, or at least my interpretation of it is, like it doesn't matter if you win the bat you win the war, or don't. As long as long as you inspire the next generation, that's all that matters. Yes. Yes. And, and I love that. And I think that is like I love a complete, that too. <laughs> that is the ultimate distillation of the Wachowski's filmography. It's like it doesn't matter that like Speed Racer wasn't the highest grossing film of all time. It doesn't matter that Clad Atlas wasn't like the most X, Y, and Z. As long as one person was exp- inspired to like be creative because of it, that's all that matters. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, Zach. I am so glad. You just put it so fucking perfectly. I've I've said it. Jeremy has said it. I've said it. Jeremy and I have said it together. The whole reason that I've ever done anything creative, whether it be music, whether it be this, well, maybe not the podcast because I like to just vent about my anger on things, but my whole idea for writing, for music and everything is like, you know, like I'm, I'm not talking to you, Zach, right now. I'm talking to you, of course, but I'm talking to everybody who's listening to this. You know when you hear that song or you watch that show or you you've you've you experience something and it makes you feel like you get chills like you you think that this is unique. I've felt that before. Everybody's felt that before. Whether it's when you're a kid, you know, I I remember it. It's for me as cliché as it is, it was like the first time when I was really young and my dad played his vinyl of uh, Magical Mystery Tour by the Beatles for me. Like that changed my life, you know? And and he explained to me like that, that was his first album. He wanted it to be my first album. I got chills. 
I have always said, if I can do that for one person, I've succeeded. And I think that that is what this movie is going for. And I want to use this as a transition into what I think this movie means. I don't think that this movie is supposed to be a lampooning or a lambasting or a satire of what made the original Matrix movies good, which is what fucking everybody on the internet wants to think it is. I think this movie is about trauma. As the first movie is about finding yourself and perspective, as the second movie is about making sure you understand how other people see you and the choices you make, and the third movie is about humanity... I think that the fourth Matrix is about handling trauma. I think that this movie is bleeding with grief from every orifice that it has. From the first act of all that boardroom saying, oh, this is what the Matrix is about. I think it is, like we've said already, not to repeat myself, but I'm gonna... The whole idea of repeating it effed with your head, it effed with your head, it effed with your head, bullet time, bullet time, bullet time... That's not what the first Matrix was about. And I think that the grief of understanding what it means to lose and reconnect is what this is. Because I, I want to I relate to everybody. Another thing that I hated about the discourse on this on the internet, there were so many people. There are basically two schools of thought. Half of the people said, oh, she has blue hair and is mentally challenged. She's making a movie. Fuck those people. The other half of the people said, well, she didn't really want to make this movie, and Warner Brothers made her. No! No, 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 no! As Zach said in our Jupiter Ascending episode, the fucking Warner Brothers dump truck of money has been backing up to the Wachowskis mansion every year since 2003. And they always said no. It took the death of the Wachowskis' parents for Lana to say... Well, maybe there's something to revisit here. That's why Lily isn't involved with this movie. Lily said, I don't think I need these fictional characters to grieve the death of my parents. Good. Good on her. Fine. Lana said, I need to deal with Neo and Trinity because I can't lose them like I lost my parents. And this movie bleeds in grief. It's all about losing what you had at the start. I mean, Zach, I don't want to get too emotional, but think about it. Think about our parents. When we're older, anybody, when we're older kids, when we're getting to our 30s, our 40s, whether or not our parents are still alive, we think about our parents the way we thought about them when we were 10 fucking years old. It is a very fundamental fact of human psychology that we can't get over how we viewed our parents as our upbringers. And that's what this movie is about. It's about losing the ones we loved, and Lana wrote a story that lets us regain them in a grand way. When fucking Carrie Ann Moss punches the shit out of Neil Patrick Harris, the overlord, and says, now I'm the creator, it's saying, I get you. I get you, mom and dad. You made a world better for me, and I'm gonna take that to the maximum. This movie is about trauma. It's not about fucking bullet time and action and anything like that. It is the natural extension of what we need from Matrix movies. It's the natural extension of what we need from real handling of grief and trauma. And I respect it immensely for that. 
my soapbox just broke. I was stamping on it so hard, Zach. <laughs> oh, God. You know what I'm saying, though? I mean, I, I don't know if you want to comment on that, but that's how I feel about this. Uh, no, I, I I agree. No, this is 100% a film about trauma because I know in like research I've read that apparently Alana experienced not just like the death of her parents, but I think like, I think her best friend or some a very very close friend. Yeah, and like she found solace in the, in these characters that she never thought to revisit. And the fact that this film definitively ends in such a positive manner um, of two lost souls like reconciling and finding each other and they're fully whole. No, that's a uh, no. It's 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 and that the me happy fucking ending. Crazy. That... If I if I could fuck. Okay, my soapbox. Somebody just built it up again. I'm even taller now. But if Rob could... realized he can stand on the debris and still <laughs> be a couple inches above where he currently <laughs> if stands. You, if you you fucking ever look at like like literature, I don't know the people who are viewing this movie and saying. Okay, I, I, I knew I got, it had to come up. It had to come up, Zach. In the few weeks since – not the few weeks, the three weeks or so what? And since this has come out, I've been hearing not only the transgenderism criticism, which our audience, cinema audience may or may not have heard, which I spent 30 minutes on, but there is more of the, the uh, – revela- not revelation, the criticism that the first act of the movie harpoons or lambasts the – ideas of the matrix i've i've saw i've seen a lot of critics and read a lot of critics that say oh the first act of the movie says you know oh what's the matrix about it's about action it's about bullet time it's about you know you know changing what we think about the world it's about that type of thing you know it's about what we said is wrong but the idea of rising up against your oppressors the criticism then becomes that the back half of the movie is just that. The, the criticism is that they've been saying that it's like, well, everything in the first half that they make fun of is what they do in the second half of the movie. They have gunfire. They have action. They have z- one of the worst things I fucking hate. They call the enemies zombies. But I don't... I think these people are missing the point. I think these people are missing the point of this movie because they missed the point of the first Matrix movie. I think that the entire first act of the movie where Neo, Thomas Anderson, has to live through these fucking montages of people thinking about what to do with Matrix 4 is paid off by the fact that Neil Patrick Harris's analyst says, you know why we've been tormenting you with your past? It's because it gives us the biggest charge. And everybody's going, this movie fucking sucks, this movie is stupid, because it says, hey, look how stupid action and violence is. And then the movie turns into action and violence. That is not what this movie is doing at all. It's saying, look how stupid action and violence is, and then the second act, or the second half says, yeah, look how stupid you are for responding to it. This movie, everybody who has a negative thought about this movie is a fucking zombie for the Matrix. You're one of the people whose eyes glaze over and you jump out a window while you're having sex with your wife to fight Neo. That you can't realize that something bigger's going. Okay, Zach, I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to go on to the diatribes, but I'm, I kind of did right there. Uh, please take this away from me. <laughs> the third act becomes a Neo and Trinity show. Sure. Um, because Trinity doesn't have much to do the first two thirds. She's just, she's just kind of there as a, a context fodder for the plot. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I'm Zach God. <laughs> We're going to fight with each other all over this. I think it is very important that when Trinity and Neo first sit down for coffee, um, Trinity, who is now Tiffany, which I love that she gets called Tiff. 
For anybody who's not computer-related, T-I-F-F is a file extension that is a very important part of this movie. She says, I don't really know if I wanted to have a family because it was told to me or because I wanted it, that type of thing. And, oh, God, that's so good. Even that last moment with the analyst, like Neil Patrick Harris saying, oh, I'm sorry, I overstretched. Women used to be so easy to control. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Like, no, like I said, um, no, there, there, no, there's a lot, like I said, no, there's a lot to appreciate. Like, but I, I that's the thing though. It's like, she becomes important, super duper important in the last 30 minutes of a 150 minute film. Well, like, like, no, 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 Rob, Rob, okay. I'm not, I don't okay. care what the characters okay. are saying. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm Visual sorry, I'm sorry. story. T- this is a movie, not a book. I'm sorry. Please, please, Zach. I will, I will shut up. Please expand on this. I'm sorry, Zach. No, that's the point, though, is that, like, again, Trinity doesn't become really an integral character in the narrative until about halfway through. And then the last third of the movie becomes almost, I'd say quarter, becomes exclusively about her importance. Yeah. Up until then, it's Neo, 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 Neo. Then all of a sudden we shift gears and we go to Trinity. That's, I wish, I wish this would have been, again, like I said, this is not my movie, but to make, considering that my biggest grievance with The Matrix is that just how unstreamlined it is at times, um, at the points they're trying to get at, I wish we would have had in the first third of the movie, we have everything with, 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 oh god, Neo, I was about to say Neo-Morpheus, as in like new Morpheus, um, (laughs) I wish we would have had Neo out of the Matrix by like the forty-minute mark. Okay, okay, I'm with you. So we would have had again. I would have rather have had that. Had infinitely more time with him interacting with Bugs and Niobe and everything on IO, and really, really laying importance as to like, okay, what is the current state of the world of of the matrix of the real world, all of that really laying into that and like how integral Trinity's role in it is in all this. And while we're having all those moments in the real world, we keep cutting back to either Smith, the analyst and Trinity's role in it. I would have liked to say, I feel like, like that's the thing. I feel like we put so much emphasis on Neo just to shift gears in the last 30 minutes to, nope, this is the Trinity show now, well, which I have nothing against. I, and I I have nothing against that. I just wish they would have sat there, given her character more time to breathe, as in we actually get to see her doing her thing. Because outside of the coffee shop sequence, sequences, like what, the two two of them, we really, for the entire second act, there's practically no Trinity can I can I can I just quickly say that that little kid saying, "Hey, you want to ball my mom?" I have never heard the term "ball" in air quotes for sex other than Al Pacino saying it in Heat, Michael Mann's Heat. He says, "You want to ball my wife," you know, and then this little kid says, "Hey, you want to ball my mom?" <laughs> what a weird moment, right? Sure. <laughs> I'm with you, Zach. Um, I, I'm with you with what you said. But I don't know. When you say that you would like that, what would you replace? Would you replace that first 40 minutes of meta contextualization of the Matrix series? No, but this is the thing, though. is not that I would have. Again, it's not an issue of replace. It's okay. streamline. Make it more, more cohesive. Like I said, there's a difference between I don't want to J.J. Abrams it. I don't want to do that. But I want to make it more palatable to the. Oh, 
slightly less initiated. Okay. Um, and I think that's the problem. I, once again, I think there's a lot of very clever ideas that are intentionally... Again, it's the equivalent between a sugar-coated pill and dipping the pill in, like, <laughs> hot sauce. Okay. Like, sure, like, some people will appreciate that. Most people won't. Um, I think that's the thing. Like, you could very easily have... Like, again, there's a reason why in the first Matrix film that when Neo is presented with, like, the red pill, blue pill dilemma, he sits there and goes directly for the red pill. Yeah. We have him reject that initially in this, which is a neat subversion of expectations. No problem with that, though. But, like, that entire sequence, like, in the bathroom with, with him in New Morpheus, yeah. um, it, it comes across very choppy. Um, it comes across it choppy. Like it feels like Keanu Reeves is doing is what are you talking well, well, about? That, like that, he's like I he's that brings me to a bigger question. Is are those moments choppy because of storytelling or because of how direction, 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 in direction, Neo, direction. In before Keanu. whoa, 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 whoa. No, I think it I don't think it's Keanu. I don't think it's Yaya Abdul Mateen. I think it's Keanu. I remember before before no, no, he Keanu is is leaning into his whoa moment that 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 not exactly that's but what I'm saying. I think in this scene and in further, uh, Keanu uh, is uh, the problem. I don't think he's a problem. No, I again, this goes back to Jupiter sending Emil Kunis, the actor. It's up to the director to say if something's not working to rein the actor in. That's the thing. The director is there that if they're getting a lackluster performance from that from those and from in the scenes Jupiter, that they're filming. I agree with you. When it's Mila Kunis or Channing Tatum, I agree with you. But now we have Keanu, who's worked with them before. I have to imagine that Lana is saying, Keanu, do your Keanu thing. And I that's, have, but that's what I mean, though. I have I to, watch, I have I, to I, agree. When We have some scenes with Keanu, specifically when he first meets my, uh, Niobe. I was like, oh, my God, what is happening? Because he goes, Niobe, are you... I O B and I'm like Keanu, what fucking drugs are you on right now? Like fucking speak like a human. No, no, you, no, you are absolutely correct. Um, but again, I think this goes back to Lana. Lana, after I think about it, this is now what 22 years later should have realized that like this isn't again. It's it's the Jimmy C quote of you can't trick the same audience twice with the same trick. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that thing of she should have sat there, stepped in, and realized that for the same reason why she was able to craft a narrative with so many, oh God, meta themes, subtextual themes, all this stuff that's going on like in between like the lines, should have realized that like for that same level of precision and articulation in the, the, the screenplay, should have done that when it came to the performances in the film. Okay. And I, okay. I not, not in performances. I, not in performances. In the direction of the scenes. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I, yeah. we, we talked about this a lot, like with Batman v Superman, like the Martha yes. scene, like save Martha. It's like on paper, it makes perfect sense that the Dude, thing that would get Batman. And we're going to be talking down, about with the goddamn Matt Reeves shit because we don't do trailers, but the fucking Matt Reeves shit of how. Okay, okay. Before Robert we get Pattinson. to that, let me finish. Let me finish the point. Please. The point being is that, like, on paper both Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent having a mother with the same name, that is something that would get through to Bruce Wayne. That would something that would get through to him. <laughs> and as an idea, there's nothing wrong with that on paper. The yeah. issue is that Hack Snyder wasn't able to direct Henry Cadville in a way that didn't come across as clunky. You're right about directing. Zack Snyder could not direct that scene. 
because the only reason the two of them know they just said Martha is because of Amy Adams. And that's my problem. I really hate well, that scene. Okay, that, sure, but that comes down to a combination of Zack Snyder and or Chris Terrio. Exactly. It's a, it's a storytelling perspective that just derives well, well, okay, Getting Getting back to the point I was trying to get at was yes. that that sequence of new Morpheus and, and Neo in the bathroom at Deus Machina mm -hmm. was released as a promotional clip like on YouTube or wherever, like I think 24 to 72 hours before the film was released. And that scene removed from the context of the film plays very choppy and very hokey. It is not representative of the film as a whole. And guess what? That is the issue. Is that like that scene, when you look at it like under a lens exclusively, it doesn't work because it's so choppy. Mm. Like, yeah, like as a piece of a larger puzzle, sure, you can ignore a lot of the blemishes and inconsistencies. But as something like as as an individual scene, it does not work. And I think that is my again. It goes like pretty much every complaint I have with this movie is the exact same complaints I have with every other movie prior to this in the which in the uh, Matrix series. In that, like, there are so many great, fantastic ideas, objective, fantastic ideas. It's that once again, they are so kind of just unnecessary. Like maybe this this film is the most coherent in that regard relative to Reloaded, Revolutions, and, and The Matrix. But I think again, there's so much more room for refinement here. Rob is looking at this as almost like mythology. Yes. And he's not looking at this as if it were cinematic. He's looking at this as almost like it's like Greek mythology. Um, this is my Bible, absolutely. <laughs> Like I said, I don't deny that. The problem is that Rob doesn't realize this. I think if this was a book, Rob would literally like jerk off to it every night. The thing is that the movie is trying to subvert your expectations by like, if you look at the first film, when Neo is introduced to like this entire like world and the choice he's about to make, it's done in a very dramatic way. And then you have it in this movie where like Yaya Abdul-Mateen references it in the dialogue he's like yes i'm presenting this decision to you At in the men's last. room and <laughs> yeah. it, yes yes and what's happening is that when he's doing that it is it, they're playing into the the goofiness of what's happening to the detriment of the film as a whole like they're trying it's a weird moment where lana is trying to have fun with the audience the problem is that like you have to be so invested in this to appreciate the subversion of what's going on in that moment. Whereas once again, you have dummies that are consuming this on the most superficial level possible. And because of that are rejecting it, going back to Rob's original thesis from the beginning of this recording. But again, I think it comes down to the execution of it. I think what they're trying to say is that again, it goes back to what I was saying about all these three films. The ideas are there. The ideas are sound. The execution's kind of murky at best. Like you have an excellent foundation Look at it this way. Look at this. Let me, let me give. Let me give an analogy. Imagine I. I have the. I have devised the cure to cancer. Okay. I have the cure to cancer, which I think is. I think, objectively, a good thing. But the point being is like I have something that is fund as a notion is fundamentally sound. Mm -hmm. But when I go to the board of directors of oh god, Pfizer. Sure. If I don't explain the benefits of my cure correctly or effectively, it doesn't matter how good my idea is 
if I can't explain it properly to the people who ultimately be the one who uh, decide if this thing is going to be deemed valuable or not. It's the idea that it, it doesn't matter if I have a good idea or not. If I can't convey how good it is effectively, then it doesn't matter. All right, just uh, – oh, God, Rob. Are we ready to get into some questions and or snacks? I guess so. I mean, um, I uh, hold on, hold on. My um, my belt loop is stuck on the turnstiles. Okay, I'm free. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, okay, um, cinemodities and late night. Zach, I want to start with you because I think I'm a fucking obvious answer for these. <laughs> All right, uh, cinemodity, absolutely, um, 100%. Uh, late night movie, unless you have seen the previous three, I would say – if you've seen the previous three, yes. If you've not seen the previous three, then no. Mm, okay, okay. Uh, Cinemodities, yes. Holy shit, this is the weirdest fucking movie I've ever seen. Um, it's it's wonderful. I love it. And I think that uh, goes back to uh, what I was saying at the first Matrix movie. This is a late night movie in the sense that I'm going to put it on just because I want to watch it. I don't give a fuck if you want to watch it or not. Does that answer your question, Zach? <laughs> yes, it does. Okay. Does that bring us to snacks? It does, Rob. It does. Okay. So I I have to start. I'm going to turn on my webcam for Zach. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm getting some Rob in real time. Oh, yes. Do you like my eraser head hair? We recording at, like, fuck. We started recording, like, 8 a.m. My hair's sticking straight up because I haven't showered. So, Zach, there is a moment in the Matrix Resurrections when Neo and Niobe go to the, uh, the farm air quotes, I guess you would call it, and uh, we are learning that in this new world of Io, on on Earth, humans and robots are working together to grow oh. produce for the first oh, time. No. Oh, no. Oh, Zach knows exactly where I'm going. <laughs> oh, no. So I thought, and we get a scene where Neo is given a strawberry. I thought to myself, what fruit would I like to eat after thousands of years in the Matrix? And there's only one answer. Zach, do you know what fruit I would like to eat after thousands oh, of years God. in the Matrix? Okay, I, okay. Before we get into the fact that, like, I'm literally getting Too late. flashbacks in the Lemonade Mouth episode. Oh, fuck! Mm. No! Mm. I got more. That was a seed. Here we go. No, keep talking, Zach. I don't know why. I don't know why you're going to stop talking. Keep going. Oh, God. It's like Lemonade Mouth all over mm. again. <laughs> He's mm. literally eating a lemon mm. like on camera, everybody. Mm. <laughs> Didn't have to be citrus, you know, like strawberry. Oh, that was a seed. <laughs> He's almost died. He almost choked in real That was a seed. No, keep, why are you stopping? Keep going, Zach. Keep going. I want to eat a lemon. I want to eat a lemon. I'm eating a lemon. I am glorifying the fact that we are human and we get great. Look at this. We get great <laughs> citrus fruit in our lives. He just said, look at this on a podcast. He well, I showed said, it to you. <laughs> he just said, look at this in an auditorium. Zach audio is immediately regret. He was like, Zach, uh, sorry. He was like, Rob, I wish you were drunk because we could have just ended this now. When Rob is sober, he has mm, mm, a lemon. <laughs> Lemonade mouth all over again. He doesn't eat citrus. Couldn't you pick another fruit? Well, no. I, <laughs> well, I got no. seeds in my mouth. Well, I got pulp no. and seeds in my mouth. Hold on. Give, give me a. 
I was thinking about what fruit I would want to eat because I, I love strawberries. Don't get me wrong. But if you asked me if I was – You've done this bit. You should have done a lime at least. It's not a bit. It's what I do. <laughs> like, oh, every week I buy a lemon and I eat it, Zach. <laughs> Why couldn't you do a lime? You already did a lemon. Lemonade now. Because, no, I only eat lemons. Limes are gross. I like lemons. <laughs> you know what, Zach? Here we go. Ready? Ready? I got another one. Disgusting. Mm. That was a seed. Mmm. <laughs> I think I just swallowed a seed. No, Zach, keep talking. <laughs> keep talking. This is your your chance for snacks. Come on. Okay. Um, <laughs> I want to let you know he couldn't he couldn't help himself after he said that. Um, my snack is I want to literally abolish the existence of lemons from existence. <laughs> that is my snack. I want to be the I want to be the Smith to the lemon neos of the real world. <laughs> Is that the cinematities lore now that um I'm the one percent lemon, you're the ninety nine percent anti lemon? Oh. <laughs> yes, I think that is gonna be the new case going forward. In cinematities lore. Whew! My lips burn. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, this is a strong lemon man. Woo, holy shit. Oh. I I just wanna re make sure everybody knows okay. Zach is looking you're looking at me on my webcam. You're seeing me eat these lemons, right? Yeah. Okay, I, okay, may, may I, may my, okay, may I yes, please, please make my snack? Please give your snack. May I, I please I make you, my snack? I thought you were going to give your snacks while I was eating the lemon. That's the whole point. You, you, we fucked this up twice now. <laughs> in, in the words of Neil Patrick Harris's analyst, my snack is, I, 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 I have no one. what a mess. I know one. Just eat the rind. You should eat the swallow the rind. <laughs> I don't swallow the rind, but I use it for zest. <sighs> Zach, this is what you should be doing. People on Twitch pay like thousand dollars a month for ASMR. <laughs> oh my god! You're telling me that's the next extension of the Patreon? Oh my god! Uh, my lips hurt. My lips hurt so bad. That was a really strong lemon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I didn't get all this one. How many lemons do you have? I got a lot of lemons. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. My snack. Okay. I want, I want to serve. Okay. Because clearly this is not coming to an end anytime soon. <laughs> I'm just losing my mind. The fact that it's like, Zach is like, we've recorded fucking over seven hours of Matrix stuff. And you want to end this one that we thought would finalize it with lemon eating? I want my snack to be. Oh, I want to serve simulates. I don't know what is involved in a simulate, but I want a simulate at the restaurant. <laughs> Have fun editing. You deserve this. Oh shit! Mess that fell that on the created. floor. That's not good. I don't want lemons on my carpet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Once again, everybody. I I I. What a mess. I'm kind of losing my mind because I thought Zach would love me eating lemons again. <laughs> no. Zach never loved it. But, man, I do. <laughs> Thank God the camera's off. Um, just so everybody knows, uh, because my friends have told me before, they say, don't you know lemons hurt your dentin? Um, I literally, when I go to the dentist and they call me in from the waiting room, 
when the nurse comes out or the dental hygienist, I don't think they're called nurses, um, whatever they're called, when they come out and they call me, I bite directly into a lemon to let them know what I'm go- what they're getting into. So um, Rob just Rob just chews the tin foil as he oh, walks in. I didn't finish this one. If anybody would like Cinemodity's Patreon ASMR of meeting eating lemons, email me. I will do this gladly. I had a whole lemon last night. <laughs> That's my leftover. <laughs> okay, You're Zach. You're a weirdo. You're a little weirdo. You're a little... I, don't, I don't think that's that weird. Anyway, Zach, I think uh, I'm, I'm kind of bummed because you took my fucking snack. I was going to say simulates as well. I had lemons and simulate. So Good. fuck Serves me. Serves you goddamn right. Serves <laughs> you goddamn right. Oh, man. No, I'm kind of upset I don't have more lemon. Well, I actually do have another lemon in the fridge. You want me to go get it? <laughs> don't you dare. Don't you dare. Anyway, thank you, Zach, for letting me eat a lemon on podcast. Uh, this was not consensual. I did not give consent to any of this. <laughs> I went down the record. So I guess with that being said, um, you know, because I don't, I don't have any other snacks other than me eating a lemon and simulates that you took, which I totally agree with. Um, any final thoughts on Matrix? I want I'm... super, super rare steak. I want super rare steak. Like I pretty much just want like a piece Didn't of. Didn't you meat say that, that for the first Matrix? Didn't we do that Did already? We? Did we? Like, I don't know. I, 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 just, like, I, I, I removed... want like raw meat that's been barely seared. I took those. Oh, hold on. I'm having a hard time now. <laughs> Hold on, I just I just burped up some lemon juice and it hit me it hit me rough, bro. Whew. Okay. Um. Didn't we say that? I don't have the files on this computer. I backed them up already, so I don't know if you said that. I think Zach is just like I don't give a fuck, Rob. I just am happy that you just backwashed lemon juice. Exactly. Rob gets what Rob deserves. <laughs> Oh, Zach, I mean, almost four years on this podcast. Aren't you glad that we, we started this thing? Every <laughs> it, day. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's not the best way to put it. Aren't you glad that we started and um, it, you never knew that there was going to be live lemon eating? <laughs> as I stare into the void as he says this. Well, I guess um, uh, as, as, as quick as I can talk, uh, we're going to live in the turnstiles. We're going to live in the Matrix. <laughs> we're going to have so many fucking edits in this episode. How do we end this? I guess we should cover that right now as well. Oh, Zach. please. Can we do the end credits cover of the Rage Against the Machine song? Oh, Zach, you fucking hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I wanted. It is um, Brass Against cover of Wake Up, which is the uh, song from the original Matrix movie, uh, Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine. But now it is covered by Brass Against. Brass Against is a good band, too. I've seen them in, I've seen them in concert. I've seen them live. Um, very similar to Trombone Shorty. So, um, yeah, I think, Zach, that's kind of crazy that we linked up on that after me eating fucking a whole lemon right now. <laughs> you are a monster, but I'm so glad to have this episode in the can. See, the the thing is, I eat lemons like this when we're not recording. <laughs> that doesn't make it any better. No, no, it doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm a monster. <laughs> I'm glad we can agree on at least one thing. I'm not a woman, we